When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and same game multi at Palmer Bed. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1800 858 858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Maureen and New Zealand, good morning to you uh, on this uh, Wednesday morning. A busy show going through to uh, midday, and a show that's a little bit up in the air at the moment, and I'll explain to you why very shortly, but uh, certainly we're going to speak to Robert Van Royen from the Press in Christchurch, who's uh, been in Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games. Uh, that's uh, coming up very shortly. His review, his report card on our performance and the Games itself. Uh, just after 9.30 this morning, we shall be talking to the General Manager of, of the Sales NBL. That, of course, is Hugh Bainan, because it's playoff time, and that begins tonight with uh, a couple of crackers, so we'll uh, keep an eye on that uh, as well. Um, at uh, 10.04, we are due to speak to Gary Stead, uh, the Black Caps coach. Uh, of course, they're in the West Indies, and they've uh, got their first game coming up tomorrow. Uh, we've just got that on hold at the moment. Um, as is often the case in live radio, you just have to be a little bit flexi- flexible about that. We're expecting perhaps something before that. If not, we shall go to Gary Stead uh, and talk to him about our prospects and about the West Indies. What about this West Indies side? Just got absolutely pumped by India. What are they up against? Uh, Josh Sims, the Hawks Bay coach, uh, just after 10.30 this morning. Josh, of course, has a very serious uh, Ranfilly Shield challenge on his plate this week with his squad, and that is against uh, Counties Manukau, of course. Our our panel this morning will be Andrew Gordy, Susan McFadden, sports editor of The Locker Room. Uh, And then um, we shall have uh, an opportunity to speak to Andy Thompson as well uh, before we hand over to Sam Hewitt at midday today. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, the passing of Taiki Yanagida, 28-year-old Japan-born jockey, is terribly, terribly sad, fatally injured in a fall last Wednesday at the Cambridge Jockey Club. It's a timely reminder for us frustrated punters just how brave and committed these sometimes tiny men and women are every time they are legged up on a horse. Without them, there is no racing. I never met Taiki, from all accounts I missed something special. Everything you hear about the young man is so complimentary. His ability, his style, his attitude and his pleasant and friendly demeanour was all good for a sport vilified in many of those areas. Simply put, he was a very good person for racing, a breath of fresh air every day at the track. And for a parent too, on doctor's advice, agree to switch off the life support system you yourself are clinging to That last-minute hope to keep your child alive must be horrific. Our sympathies then to his mother and his sister who had flown from Japan to be at his side and who had to make that horrible call. Racing will go on. It does, in fact, today in Christchurch. 
They are a resilient bunch, but the memory of Taiki Yanagida and the risks that jockeys take of their own decision should be acknowledged by us every time they mount a horse for our enjoyment and our profit, hopefully. I say this looking in the mirror because I am that frustrated punter, and that's my decision. Nothing like the ones our riders make pretty much every day of their lives. So thank you, Taiki, for all and all too few memories that you have provided for us, but also for that stark reminder. RIP, young man, ride well in the sky. It is 9.07 here on SENZ and it is my pleasure to uh, head across to the UK where we can find uh, Robert Van Royen, Rob Van Royen from the press of course who has been lucky enough to be part of uh, the Commonwealth Games covering it on the ground over there um, and uh, it's uh, pretty late in the evening is it now so I, uh, I thank Rob for staying up this late. Uh, Rob thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all as you, you prepare to perhaps leave the, the surrounds of Birmingham, etc., and perhaps head home. I'm not sure what your movements are, but what is your gut feeling as you reflect on the Games? Yeah, morning, Smitty. I think I'm one of the only journalists still in Birmingham from the New Zealand contingent. I believe either most of them are in London or on a beach somewhere in Europe. I'll get to London tomorrow for a couple <laughs> of days and, and head home. Um, oh, gut feeling was, I mean, I think it was a heck of a success, with, not just in terms of New Zealand, nudging 50 medals, 20 gold, but, um, I mean, gee, it was well-received over here. And I think um, the fact that they talked about, you know, before the Games, roughly a million tickets they were hoping to sell, they ended up going beyond one and a half million. Um, everywhere we went, um, crowds were chocker. The athletics um, really stood out in terms of crowd. And, yeah, I think a good success. I mean, it just shows, you know, the, a lot of people have got different views on the Commonwealth Games, but um, I believe there's, there's definitely still a, a place for it in the, in the sporting um, surround. It is the debate, isn't it? Uh, you know, what is its future? I mean, I, I think we've got one in the mix, uh, and still the speculation as to, uh, to 2000, perhaps 34, as to where it might be at, at that point in time. Uh, Rob, but from what you, what you glean out of your experience there and, and from those around you, there is a definite future for it going forward? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. There is talk of that future, whether it does get cut. I mean, we might see it becoming not quite as many. It might lose some sports, for instance, not as many athletes. But, I mean, I think it does sound like, you know, obviously, we're Australia in four years, looking like Canada beyond that. I know I've been seeing sports people saying, why doesn't New Zealand host it down the line and then who knows I mean I think it clearly could it's clearly capable when I mean, you don't it can be spread out I mean we had uh, over here I mean for instance the, the cyclists were in, in London even four years ago on the Gold Coast you know the Velodrome they were all in Brisbane so um, yeah and I think the, what they're doing what they're going to do in Victoria it's not just based in Melbourne in four years so I mean um, yeah going back to the main question I think yeah there's definitely a future for it Christchurch is uh, one uh, venue uh, which was uh, put forward yesterday because that would be, if it was 2034, of course, uh, Rob, that would be, what, 60 years exactly since the Christchurch last hosted it. Of course, new facilities, new stadia, etc. around the Christchurch area. So <clears throat> not out of the realms, but I'm not quite sure that the stadium they built 
uh, or are intending to build now and have got the green light for would be purpose-built for athletics. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. And, like, until I see concrete poured, I, don't, I still don't believe there will be a stadium. I just, it's, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. But, um, yeah, no, that's definitely not. I mean, they've, they've, in terms of track and field and uh, Christchurch, Napuna Y, they've got, they have got the brand-new facilities out there. Um, and that's a fantastic facility, but there's no, you know, very little grandstand. I mean, to talk the stadium here, which held the athletics, um, it's 18,000 usually, but they managed with extra scaffolding, they got the capacity up to just 32,000. I mean, you definitely need something like that for track and field. I mean, there's no way what Christchurch has now would um, would do the job in terms of track and field. Right, let's look at uh, our performance over there, Rob, which you, you were uh, very close to. Uh, I, I look at it um, like an MVP and the name Aaron Gate comes to the fore. I mean, four magnificent gold medals highlighted by that road race win, which just, just absolutely put the icing on the cake for the cycling side of things. Elise Andrews as well. Cycling, an absolute plus. Yeah, cycling, was uh, they were incredible. Win. I mean, 13, 13 medals and uh, that, that last gold, which uh, Aaron Gate finished with on the track in London, I was actually, I managed, I got to London for that final day of the track. I just had, just had to get over there because of what they were up to. And um, that, that nudged them ahead of Australia as the best uh, team on the track. And um, yeah, him and Elise, incredible what they achieved. And um, when you when you take in that uh, mountain gazes, mountain bike gold, and then uh, Gates gold on the road, you know, 10 of those 20 gold um, medals that New Zealand athletes won were on two wheels. So yeah, heck of a performance. And it sort of carries on from the Gold Coast when the, the two-wheeled athletes, they uh, accounted for more of a third of the medals there too. Other positives for you? There were plenty of them. As you say, another 10 gold medals distributed outside of cycling. But um, the other positives, uh, perhaps surprising positives for you? Yeah, one that really stands out to me isn't even a medal. To, uh, it's Sam Tanner, um, a 21-year-old. When he's been training ahead of the Olympics last year, you know, was training with Nick Willis as a mentor. And for him, at 21, uh, he finished sixth in that uh, 1500 final. But for him to run a 3.31 at 21, and, and he, he's second, now the second fastest Kiwi behind Willis. I mean, he's gone past to John Walker and Rod Dixon on the New Zealand all-time list with that run. I mean, for me, and his reaction afterwards was, was very telling um, what he'd achieved. You know, 1,500-metre runners usually much later in their 20s before they start peaking. And I think what was impressive was, you know, he now knows he can can do that time. As you would know, a lot of, you know, 1,500 races often are so tactical and uh, you don't often get a chance to run those fast races. I mean, his heat, for instance, um, he ran 348. The first 800 was, was incredibly slow. So um, for that final to be rapid... And for him to stick with them and, and, as I say, become the second fastest Kiwi over 1,500 at his age is pretty remarkable. And he's the future of track in New Zealand, uh, there's no doubt about it. So that was the real highlight for me. Really nice to see, even though she finished sixth in the final, Zoe Hobbs. Uh, great to see a New Zealand uh, singlet in a 100-metre final. Wasn't it, you know? And, and she had COVID just last, you know, the week, the previous week, and she was having to drag herself out of bed to make sure she didn't become too lethargic and just lay around all day. So, I mean, that was a, that was a heck of an effort. And then in her heat, she nudged her Oceania record from the world champs in, in Oregon. So, you know, and, to, and that just shows, you know, I mean, she, she got a dispensation essentially to get to go to the Com game. She, in that qualifying window, which finished at the end of May, she actually had only 
one B qualifier, but she got the nod on her, especially the pass partially due to her uh, form on 60 over 60 metres indoors, and it just shows the the interest. And I, I know in terms of clicks on stories, the stuff. Uh, stories, anything with Zoe, Hob Zoe Hobbs sprinting in the over 100 metres did very well despite not getting a medal and, you know, a lot better than some of the stories about athletes winning gold medals. There's just a lot of interest in it. Our teams um, were uh, I think it's fair to say of mixed success uh, bronze medals pretty much all round uh, except in the hockey side of things. Now hockey perhaps may be the disappointment of the games from that aspect? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd put the sevens up there as well, just given they were uh, both well, they're both defending world champs. They're off, they've got the World Cup uh, next month. Um, but also the fact that they both swept, cruised into the semis and then both got into positions where they should have won those semis. So, And they both knew it. Um, the lessons there for them, I'd put them up there as um, among the teams that disappointed most. Um, but yeah, obviously the hockey team, especially the Black Six women, um, yeah, I mean, look, hey, penalty shootouts, if it was brutal, I mean, they've they really struggled with those. I've got a bit of a history of that. The men, very disappointing. To You know, they to, they nearly got done by Scotland in that first game as mm. well. 5-1 five, five, down, came back for that draw. So, yeah, the teams weren't flash. I think uh, Silver Ferns, yeah, they'll take, they definitely were happy with that bronze in the end. I mean, they're missing a lot of firepower, so... To salvage a bronze, and for them, as Nolene told or said, the big picture that's clearly the World Cup next year, and she thinks the young group she's got will be peaking in, in a year. So, Rob, uh, the new sport in there, of course, was uh, women's cricket, the T20 um, version of it. Um, uh, it looked from the outside uh, looking in that it was uh, pretty well attended, quite a success, and the fact that New Zealand picked up a bronze, I think, was. A little surprising uh, in terms of their rankings going into it. Yeah, it was. It was. I didn't get to any. I've had to watch some of that from the media centres, the various seats. I didn't get to the cricket grounds, and my colleague Ian Anderson was more over that. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a very good point to to salvage a bronze um, for them, and they'll, they'll definitely take that given their record in, in white ball cricket uh, in the last few years. Obviously, as you know, it doesn't flash. So yeah, it was a good result. Personally, I'm not sure about. I was never really a fan of cricket being in the Commonwealth Games, and it's not just cricket. There's a few, and, and I'm a big cricket, cricket fan myself, still play. Um, but, yeah, I, and that goes for a few team sports at the Olympics and Com Games. I'm not always a fan of. Uh, Rob Van Royen, what about our Paralympic program? How, how did you sense that uh, they performed? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, stands that straight away with Dan Sophie's Pasco getting a, another gold, um, so that was a biggie. That, that's, the, that's the standout, and I mean she's she's a stand. I mean I think that's one of the bonuses about the Com Games that, that, that it's an integrated program, and they made a big deal about that. The friendly games inclusive, having it all in, and um, yeah, no, so a great result there. And I know she was um, very. I saw Sophie at the flag bearing announcement, and she was um, very prominent with talking to Tom Walsh when when he got named. So yeah, all good. Uh, I, is there any sport that, apart from cricket that you think uh, might be under threat that perhaps didn't uh, and I'm not just talking about New Zealand participation here or New Zealand performance but any sport you thought might be under threat didn't need to be there um, oh, not, not particularly I mean uh, I guess some of those ones uh, it's, in terms of New Zealand I've mean, got ones like table tennis and they're the ones that probably no one really pays a lot of attention to but obviously they're massive for a country such as 
uh, in the year and that. So, you know, you're in judo, as I say, we've got quite a few Kiwi athletes in judo, so I don't think so. I mean, one, one sport I think I'd probably speak about that was missing here was was shooting, and that just came down to facilities, no facilities in the area. I think it was only the second time in the last 30-plus years that there hasn't been shooting at the Commonwealth Games, and, I mean, that takes away athletes like Natalie Rooney, you know, Olympic silver, silver medalist. So, um, yeah, shooting was one which would have... This is, you know, a bit of a staple usually, and I'm sure, I believe that one would be back uh, in, Australia, um, in Victoria in four years. Rob, interesting, a uh, couple of hybrid sports, but not their main core sports, and I speak here of uh, three, three times three uh, basketball and beach volleyball, yet their core sports, volleyball itself and uh, basketball itself, not part of the games. It, it's an, it's a quite an interesting spin-off. Yeah, that's that's a good point actually. And I, the the, uh, the volleyball walked past that last night actually. It was quite a quite a good setting there. I think in the central city there for for the um, beach volleyball. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, and and the, the three by three basketball. So I mean, I think it works. I don't mind uh, them them going with that actually. And um, and some of the I think I got asked before the Olympics um, what sports I wouldn't have minded seeing here. And the old sport climbing, I think, which was at uh, Tokyo last year, was one off. I remember heading into Tokyo. I wasn't so much a fan of being there, but then watching, and I thought it was fantastic. You know? um, and the three by three basketball, um, again, I mean, lot, to be fair, everything here attracted good crowds. It didn't really matter what matter of what it was. Um, everything went down well with the locals. They just got into everything. I mean, it helped. There was about two million visitors to the region as well. Right. Um, can you put your other hat on, which is, of course is a prominent rugby rider down there in Christchurch as well? Uh, just for a moment, we've got a text in from Graham from Marlborough, formerly from Northland. He says, Morning, Smithy. If you get a chance, can you ask Rob if he has any information on what's happening with the coaching setup with the All Blacks? Has Razor turned down the opportunity uh, to be the coach? It seems to be the rumour going round. So I know you're a long way from home, Rob, but what are you hearing? Uh, well, look, yes, I believe, uh, from what I understand, yes, he definitely wasn't keen to take the job. Uh, before, when there was talk of before they even went to South Africa and before the, the, that week where basically it was radio silence. I was still at home that week. It was radio silence from New Zealand Rugby. Everyone knew about that. Who knows what week I'm talking about? And yes, I believe before they even went and everyone was demanding a change before the end, he definitely uh, wasn't keen to take it at that stage. And uh, also believe if it came down to, even if it was offered to him a year out from the World Cup, there would have been some uh, some real thinking required to take it. I mean, I think it's clear he's. I mean, when he signed that last contract, he um, it was all he basically set his sights on. Look, I'm going to go for it in 2023. He was mindset on the Crusaders uh, until the end of next year, and then if it comes up at the World Cup, he gets it. If he doesn't, he goes elsewhere. He's got that out clause, even though he signed to 2024 with New Zealand Rugby. Uh, so, yeah, he was really set on that. And, um, look, I, I haven't uh, been as in the loop with talking to various people behind the scenes since I've been over here, but that's, uh, last I heard, that's definitely the case. So, if um, just say, for instance, the All Blacks did not prevail this weekend um, in Johannesburg, who would they go to? What, what do you think? Great question. Uh, yeah, I a lot of people, I've seen Gatlin's name thrown out there. I mean, and a lot of people are still sort of clinging on to Schmidt. Um, I can't, I can't see that because we we just know he doesn't want to travel. He's, it's about family. So look, I, yeah, I, 
it'll be interesting. I, I, there'll be some real questions swirling around Mark Robinson's head um, about who to go to. Um, you know, to be fair, if, if there's not a heck of a lot of clear-cut options out there at this moment. There are not. Um, there are not. If, uh, if it's not the preferred option, there's no doubt about that. Hey, Rob, great catching up with you. Uh, enjoy your couple of days in London and uh, your trip home, and uh, we'll catch you in due course. Thanks for, your, thanks for your help this morning. Appreciate it. Cheers, Billy. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, Robert Van Royen there from the press in Christchurch, uh, pretty close to everything that happens in rugby down there, um, even though he's a long way from home at the moment. News travels pretty quick, so we'll just keep uh, an eye on that. Uh, perspective because uh, that might be a big announcement in the offing uh, perhaps in the next uh, six or seven days. Might be getting one uh, soon from um, New Zealand Cricket. We've got that interview with uh, Gary Stead just after 10 o'clock this morning um, but we might have to replace that. Uh, we're hearing something but we don't know any details of it. I'll be perfectly honest with you, not privy to any details, just uh, just put on hold. That's uh, where we're at at the moment. It's 9.23 on SENZ. Yeah, it's 9.28 here on SENZ. Just a reminder, we'll be talking uh, very shortly to uh, Hugh Bainon, who is the sales NBL general manager. Of course, uh, we've got the playoffs. So we've got the Tuatara up against the Saints. We've got the Hawks up against the Nuggets. Uh, they're the bottom four, the Taranaki Airs and the Nelson Giants, of course, qualifying in the top two. Also uh, wanted to touch on Hugh, whether he's over the story about Sean Marks. Of course, Sean Marks is the uh, general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, and he's, uh, along with his uh, head coach, Steve Nash, they're on a standoff, really, with uh, Kevin Durant. Now, Kevin Durant has been had a history of floating around franchises uh, without being that successful, but saying a lot and disrupting a lot. Uh, he is the big money ticket. He is the item at the Brooklyn Nets, and when he plays, he's a fantastic basketball player. We all know about that. Uh, but um, is uh, is it gonna is player power here gonna mend the end to uh, Sean Marks' career at Brooklyn uh, Nets and maybe Steve Nash as well, Ricardo? It's a it's an interesting story uh, developing for Sean Marks. It is, and everything I've seen uh, so far suggests that the owner of the Nets is going to back his staff over his player. Um, so I would suggest that that means Durant's on the move. I think he's just agitating for a move and wants out. So it'd be interesting to see where he lands. Yeah, it would be interesting to say to see where he lands and where it leaves the Brooklyn Nets uh, as a, a potential playoff uh, franchise looking forward. I would think it doesn't leave them that well prepared because uh, they'll have to go shopping pretty quickly to, to provide... Uh, that kind of replacement for Kevin Durant. There's not many, too many of those on the marketplace. No, it, it might be a case of it's, it's time for a reset because the Nets are, are quite an old franchise anyway. So it might be uh, that it's an opportunity that they can go and get a couple of young players or a couple of really good picks and, and maybe look to start the rebuild. Okay, Ricardo, it's 9.30. Thanks for that. Uh, we shall uh, go across to uh, Araha now in the newsroom when we come back. We might have a scoop for you, but we might not. And we might have some basketball, we might not. That is the excitement and beauty of live radio. Well, he's a very clever man, that Ricardo Ball. He's just played uh, There Goes My Hero. And that uh, may well be uh, the case for a lot of you cricket fans out there because New Zealand Cricket have just announced they have agreed to release Trent Bolt from his central contract that can uh, see him spend more time with his family while also making himself available for domestic leagues. 33-year-old fast bowler requested the release after several conversations with New Zealand Cricket, which today agreed to the arrangement. The move means Bolt, who has taken 317 test wickets, 169 at one-day international level and 62 in T20 international cricket, 
will have a significantly reduced role with the Black Caps during his final years in the game, while still being eligible for selection if and when available. Uh, New Zealand Chief Executive David White said the left armour had made it clear during discussions that his appetite for touring had diminished and that he wished to spend more time with his family. We respect his decision, said Mr White. Um, we'll leave it at that, but that is the announcement. Uh, Polt saying it was a very difficult call to make. Of course it would be after your association with the game and uh, your fellow players. Not easy to walk away uh, in that respect, particularly when you've still got so much cricket left within you. Uh, but we will be speaking to David White, the CEO of New Zealand Cricket, after 10 o'clock uh, regarding that uh, announcement about Trent Bolt, who has uh, officially uh, had his contract uh, with New Zealand Cricket ended um, on a mutual basis, a mutual basis. So more on that after 10 o'clock. But uh, we've got to go to basketball now because uh, basketball is at a hugely crucial stage, uh, particularly in the Sales NBL. And it's uh, appropriate we speak to the general manager, Hugh Bain on, on the morning um, before uh, the playoffs start. Hugh, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. Yeah, big day. Big day. Four, mass... Two games tonight, and then away we go. Okay, Hugh, uh, first of all, can you explain the playoff system to us, please? Yeah, can do. So we had a top six. For the first time in league history, we brought in a top six uh, playoff system this year. So the Airs and the Giants, Taranaki Airs, Nelson Giants, they came first and second on the ladder, so they go straight into the semi final. So the Airs will play tomorrow, the Giants will play on Friday. To decide who they play, we have two playing games tonight. So third plays six, which is the Nuggets against the Hawks. That's at six o'clock tonight. Uh, followed by the Saints, uh, who are fourth against the Tuatata, who are fifth. Now, whoever the lowest-ranked winner out of that, those four tonight are, they'll play the Airs. So the Airs get the advantage because they came first in the regular season. So if the Hawks, who are ranked sixth in the regular season, if they win tonight, they'll play the Airs. So whoever the lowest-ranked of the two winners tonight is, will play the Airs. The highest-ranked one will play the Giants on Friday. And then the big dance is on Saturday. The big dance is not far away. And, of course... Uh, I, I, like a lot of people, if I'd have said who would top the particular group uh, after the round-robin section of, uh, of it, Hugh, I, I would have uh, perhaps got quite a lot of money on the Taranaki years. This is just a great story. It's a great story for both those teams at the top. You know, the Ayers have never even competed in a final. Um, the Giants have won three championships over 41 years. You know, for so long, it's been the Wellington Saints and the Southland Sharks. Um, you know, whereas the Sharks haven't made the playoffs this year and the Saints got in on the last game of their season. So uh, it's great. You know, it's what you want in sport. You want to walk into the arena and not know who's going to win the game. And uh, we've achieved that this year. And we've achieved it, I think, coming up this week because, geez, you wouldn't want to pick a winner this week. Well, it's interesting. You know, you, uh, I just went to the, the TAB website as I uh, do from time to time. You and you wouldn't realise, you know, or maybe you do, the Saints are now favourites to win the title. Yeah, they've come home hot. You know, they have just snowballed into the postseason. They made a coaching change midway through the season, which was a ballsy move from the front office. It paid off. I think also on top of that, they started the season. You know, there's no secret to it. We had a just joint to start to the season with COVID pushing the start back, but also, uh, again, due to the pandemic, an overlap with the Australian NBA that we don't normally have. So some players were late, uh, and the Saints in particular were affected by that. They had a pretty young squad for the first few weeks, so copped a fair few losses. And by the time, um, you know, now MVP, Xavier Cooks and, and his band of Merry Saints uh, arrived, mm. um, they, were in tr they were in trouble. But they started, the, once they got their act together, started rolling, and now they're, they're really tough. I still, 
yeah, they're favourites, but you know the only team they lost to on their big run into the playoffs was the Taranaki Ears. So if those two meet, and I suspect they may meet over the next few days, then uh, that'll be a barnstormer. Okay, you will. Uh, these matches, these playoff matches, uh, will be all be played at Event Finder Stadium, which means uh, for Game One in particular tonight, that is a neutral venue between the Hawks and the Nuggets. So preview that one for us. Hawks and Nuggets, yeah. Well, so the Hawks, you know, were the favourites at the start of the season. You go back to the start of the season, Smithy, like you said, and look at the TAB odds. The Hawks were um, relatively comfortable favourites to win the championship. They went for an all-Kiwi lineup um, that was quickly um, changed due to injury or illness to Jack Salt. Uh, and they brought in uh, Tawane G, the big American. So um, he's been a revelation for them. They just haven't really hit their straps so far. They snuck into the playoffs in sixth position on the last day of the season with a, you know, thanks to an overtime win against the Canterbury Rams in Napier, which was thrilling in itself. Um, so, but, but, yes, they're probably the least favourite team, as they should be in the sixth position to, to win this whole thing now. They have got some absolute gamers out there. Hiram Harris is one of the best players in the competition. Ethan Rusbatch, who by you know his own admission has had a down year, he can get hot any minute from the three-point arc and win you a game. Uh, Jerome Rokao has had one of his most efficient seasons ever. Uh, Jordan Hunt and Jack Salt are a two-headed monster in the front court. And then, like I said, Tawan AG as well. So um, you can't write off any of these six teams. So the Hawks, yes, they might be uh, sixth favourite, but they can beat anyone. Uh, I guess this Nugget side, you know, who came, who've come third, done a great job. And I'm aware I'm speaking to the uh, the owners of the Nuggets and SDNZ. Um, great job in first year under of, of new ownership. Um, Brett Matahari, the head coach, has done a good job. They've had a trio, probably the second best import trio in the competition behind the Taranaki Ears. Uh, the big question mark hanging over them was Todd Withers left a game in the second quarter <clears throat> on um, on Sunday afternoon, the last game of the regular season with a pretty bad ankle sprain. I saw him yesterday up here in Auckland, so he trained yesterday, but uh, just a little bit. So uh, he won't be 100%, but I said, are you going to play? He goes, I wouldn't mess this for the world. So that's going to be a big question mark over him. But otherwise, they've got the imports to beat anyone this week. So uh, that's a tough one to call. You're probably leaning nuggets, as you would, with 3v6. Uh, but a lot's going to depend on Todd Withers and on just how fit he is. Hugh Ricardo here, mate. Uh, is it fair to say that the, this is the strongest we've ever seen uh, the NBL in New Zealand in terms of competitiveness across the board and the fact that all these imports turn up and make teams better. I mean, it used to be if you if you had a passport and you got through uh, customs here and you had an American accent, you could just about get an NBL contract. Yeah, I'd say in recent memory, you know, I certainly don't want to do a disservice to um, all 41 seasons of the league. You know, in the 80s, the glory days, you know, uh, Smithy will remember, and that's not a dig at you, Smithy, but Smithy will remember lines out <laughs> the doors um, <clears throat> of, of arenas around the country. It was on, you know, it was live and free to air as well. Like, so... You know, back in the 80s, as we call the golden era, you know, there was a great league with wonderful players like Kenny Mack, Kenny McFadden and, you know, um, Clive Huntley and stuff like that. So in recent memory, I'd say, Ricardo, certainly this is in the last 10, 15 years, this is the closest the, the league has ever been. Uh, the talent is phenomenal, but on top of that, the Kiwi talent is also really good. You know, there's other Kiwis overseas we still want to attract home in the coming years. But yeah, I, I'd go along with that in recent memory. Okay, let's uh, look at the second game t tonight then, if we can, Hugh, as well. And that does uh, offer up a home advantage to uh, the Tuatara, Auckland Tuatara. Um, and they're up against the Saints. They're massive underdogs, having lost to the Saints uh, just a matter of uh, days ago. Tuatara, of course, started 9-1 the, the part of their season, uh, the first 10 games. The Saints were 3-7, of course. And then, as you said, um, the, the band of merry men arrived and the rules changed for everybody. 
How are you expecting this one to go tonight? Yeah, it's had a two teams for the Auckland Tuatara in 2022. The one with Chris Johnson and the one who wanted Chris Johnson to come back. <laughs> you know, he played the first half of the season and they got on a real good roll. Then he went over to America um, and now he's back. So he came back last Sunday and he'll play the playoffs this week as well. So an extra game under Chris's belt and, and some more training sessions will make a difference, I think, tonight. They are missing their young starlet point guard, Dante Russo-Nant, who 17-year-old just named Youth Player of the Year. He's over in an NBA camp, and, and fair enough, too, what a future he's got. But, yeah, they're up against it. And you say home advantage. One little thing, Smithy, and this is one of the you know those minutiae of sports that uh, us sports nerds really like, it's technically a neutral venue tonight. So the Tuatata won't be in their home dressing room because they're not the highest-ranked team. So actually the Nuggets will have the Tuatata's normal dressing room, and the Tuatata will be in the uh, away team dressing room. So... I don't know psych- psychologically if that's going to play any uh, effect on... Oh, sorry, I should say the Saints will be in the, in the home team, not locker room. So the Tuatata are going to have to... Uh, there's going to be just a slight difference for them. You know, they've had nine home games and they, they have their routine where they walk into their locker room. There's going to be a different locker room tonight and I wonder <laughs> if it could throw them off their stead. Uh, however, they do have Roblo, they do have Chris Johnson, the two, two of, if not the two best bigs in the competition. So... We know how tough those guys are to play against, and the Saints won't take them lightly. And it always adds just that little bit of a interest and intrigue when the teams played each other just a few days in between games. Actually, it would piss me off to know that someone else was sitting in my seat night to sit in someone else's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and those locker rooms, you know, there's a noticeable difference. One's a professional basketball locker room, and the other's, you know, essentially a leisure, a leisure centre locker room. So there will be a difference. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, look, Hugh Vainan, um, can you this far out forecast a winner uh, at this point? Could you could you look at this competition and say, yep, they're standouts? I'd say the one really interesting thing is that you can't really look past the Airs and the Saints right now, right? On form, uh, on talent, those two are the two best teams at the moment. So the really interesting one tonight is if the Nuggets can beat the Hawks, the Airs and the Saints, and the Saints will obviously need to win their game. It means the Airs and the Saints will meet in the semi-final. Um, so if you're a Nelson Giants fan, the Nelson Giants will want the Otago Nuggets to win tonight because uh, it means you will play the Nelson, you will play the Otago Nuggets in the semi-final, and that will therefore avoid the Wellington Saints, who towed up the Giants last year, last last week in the in the capital city. So that's the real intriguing one tonight. Uh, if the Nuggets win, they'll play the Giants, and that puts the uh, Saints and the Airs on the same side of the draw. Otherwise, you know, if the uh, if the Hawks can get up, then we're, we're full steam ahead looking at an Airs v. Saints grand final, potentially. Can't write off those Giants, though. They won a host of awards, uh, including Coach of the Year, Most Improved Player in Sam Dempster. You know, yes, they lost to both the Airs and the Saints last week. Were cards being kept close to chest? I don't know. Is everything different playoff time? Of course it is. So... Um, anyone's game, but Ayers and Saints will be the favourites. Hugh, I'd imagine tickets for these will be in demand uh, for these playoffs, particularly uh, the closer we get to the grand final. (coughs) Is that the case? Are they still available? How do people get them? Yeah, there'll be, well, geez, probably a handful available for the grand final. Still some available for semi-finals. And tonight, the hard thing was, ticket sales-wise, the fans didn't know what night their teams would be playing until Sunday afternoon, such was the closeness of the competition. Uh, So eventfinder.co.nz, where you get your tickets, or just go along and find the NZNBL uh, social channels, and there's links links left, right, and centre. Should be great. And, of course, every game live on Sky Sport and live on SENZ. A quick mention, too, to Toi uh, because uh, there was an interesting development. It looked like the Northern Kahu were going to sweep everyone aside uh, and take this title, this inaugural title, very quickly and very simply.
But no, uh, Tokamanawa Queens upset them the other night. So, uh, what what is um, your, your feeling about this league now? Yeah, that was great. Well, Snap blew it wide open. And the, the best thing about this, you, which you can step back as a neutral uh, and re- admire, is one half of the league saying, see, they are beatable. And then the car who's sitting there going, well, we needed that loss just to keep a reality check, you know? <laughs> Um, so all the all the cliches coming out across the league, which is great. So no, it was a really good win for the Queens. They're a tough team, and again, you know, the top four is locked in in that league, uh, which is at the end of this month at Trafalgar Centre in Nelson. Anyone could be anyone. Uh, the Kahu copying that loss would have given a lot of belief to the other two teams, to the Fire and the Polokai, who have come close to the Kahu, uh, if not beaten them. So um, yeah, Splendid Wide Open has made the final four really interesting. Uh, once we get past this final six this week, one more round of Tohi next week before the uh, final four of the Big Dance in Nelson. Well, Hugh Bainan, General Manager of the League, I hope everything goes uh, smoothly over the weekend. It has to this point anyway, and there's no reason to suggest it's not going to be a basketball bonanza. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, look forward to those games coming up, please. And thank, uh, and all the best, mate. Cheers. Uh, Hugh Bainan with us there. Yeah, Hugh Bainan uh, has done a great job, and this is a terrific success, this league. Mark my words, uh, Ricardo, the numbers are good. Um, you know, the atmosphere is good. The skills, and I, I get where mm. you got that qu- yeah, that question coming from. I really did. Yeah, and I, you talked about the numbers, Smithy. I was talking to Justin Nelson last night, of course, used to be the GM before Hugh. He said that last round, round 15 of the competition, they had 14,000 bums on seats in venues. Mm. Yep, staggering. Absolutely staggering, mate. Uh, right, if you haven't heard, uh, we got a scoop uh, at 9.30. Um, in terms of New Zealand cricket, and that is that Trent Bolt uh, has uh, severed his uh, ties with New Zealand cricket formally in terms of his central contract, right? So they've agreed to separate, which means that Trent Bolt wants to spend more time with his family and also making himself more available to some of those domestic leagues around the world, the T20 leagues, which are so lucrative as well. And uh, so uh, with his comments uh, about that, um, I would have been, I imagine, reluctant to let him go, but supportive now that the decision is made. I think we'll hear that from uh, the CEO, David White, hoping to speak to him just after 10 o'clock this morning. Double eight double three is our text number, and you might like to text us on your reaction to the Trent Bolt news. Uh, he's uh, severing his official ties with New Zealand cricket in terms of a contract. Still will be available for selected events, I would imagine, but wants to make himself more available, of course, to uh, domestic leagues around the world. And, of course, he's got a young family. Uh, he's just uh, had enough, to be perfectly honest, of the constant drag, I would imagine of uh, being an international cricketer and a league player as well. He made, that, made a decision, and that's the way that he has gone. Your thoughts on that, double eight, double three. I had a quick text in from Craig saying, Gatlin, no way. This is on the back of Rob Van Royen saying that perhaps Gatlin might be uh, a name, uh, Warren Gatlin might be a name as a replacement if they have one for Ian Foster, if they lose this weekend. A lot of ifs in there. Uh, his tactics against the Lions, this is Gatlin's uh, verse uh, for the Lions against South Africa, were a disgrace. Very negative. Kick, kick, kick. Um, mm, interesting. Maybe that's the way we're going to go back to. Um, if we haven't got the power to go grunt, grunt, grunt all the time, Craig, maybe that's the way we have to go back to. Uh, unfortunate to think that way. I hate to watch rugby uh, played on a consistent level like that, but if we want to win a World Cup, uh, and they are the world champions, uh, is their blueprint better or than ours at the moment? Who knows? 9.53 here on SENZ. Coming up to 10 o'clock here on SENZ in the next hour, speaking to uh, David White, CEO of New Zealand Cricket, on the uh, on the severing of ties officially, I guess, with uh, Trent Bolt. Uh, we'll talk about the, the reasons why and uh, New Zealand Cricket's reaction to that. Uh, we'll also have a multi for you in the next hour as well. Uh, just a bit of a reshuffle this morning because live news is the best news. It's 10 o'clock here and time for Ottawa.
10.03 here on SENZ and around 33 minutes ago, New Zealand Cricket uh, released uh, an announcement and to the effect that uh, Trent Bolt uh, will be released from his central contract so that he can spend more time with his family while also making himself available for domestic leagues. 33-year-old fast bowler requested that a release after several com- conversations with New Zealand Cricket, which today agreed to those arrangements. So... Uh, David White, the the CEO of New Zealand Cricket, has been good enough to join us uh, almost immediately after that announcement. Uh, David, uh, good morning to you. Um, I guess it's a a continuing thing in in the world of sport these days with the demands that players have, uh, increasing increasing schedules, etc., that this is going to be a a discussion point at least, but sad to lose, uh, Trent. Yeah, thanks, Mavi. Good morning to you. Yeah. We've had a number of conversations uh, with Trent over the past week, and um, you know he's been pretty emotional about this. Um, he um, a lot of demands on players, as you know now, um, both internationally and, and from domestic leagues, and um, his wishes to spend more time with his family. And um, you know we, we've we've considered everything, and uh, we've agreed to release him. He's given us 11 years of incredible service. Um, so. Um, that's the situation. Um, so what, what we're doing now is, um, as I said in the release, um, you know, priority will be given to um, contracted players uh, going forward, but we're not saying that he'll never play for New Zealand again. Uh, we'll do it on a case-by-case basis, but um, it certainly will diminish his international career. So in, in the case of, say, uh, T20 cricket, uh, I know there are so many domestic leagues around the world, but, which can be quite uh, lucrative and fruitful to the top the top players, and Trent Bolt certainly will be one of those. But they do tend to find windows away from world cricket events, uh, and that includes like the T20 World Cup at the end of this year. Um, if a fully fit uh, Trent Bolt was uh, around, would, would that be a possibility, you hope? I, I think so, a- absolutely. Um, you know, on a case-by-case basis, it's not for, for me or the board to select a team. You know, Gary Stead will come to us with his his thoughts, but I know that Trent is very much in their, their sights for... Um, the World Cup in, in Australia. So I think that um, I think that global events um, are more likely going forward for for Trent. Um, you know, he'll be specialising in T20 as well. Whitey, over the years, um, or the last year or so, Trent has you know not always been available. There's been times when he has come home mid tours, of course, to to make contact with his family, three young sons. I mean. Most blokes would these days. Uh, has this been in the, on the cards for a little while? Has it, negotiations been quite long for this? We negotiations haven't been that long, but we know that, um, and we've been keeping very close to him. He has struggled away from home, um, and I think in particular, you know, life and life in a bubble over the last two years was really tough for him, um, and it's something that he hasn't taken lightly. But uh, it, it's come to a point now for him. Um, that you know, he really wants to spend more time with his uh, lovely wife and three children, and we respect that. And like I said, you know, he's he's played uh, for 11 years for us and given us incredible service, and and one of the top players in the world in all three formats. 317 Test wickets. I, I was thinking to myself, uh, the magical uh, 431 of Sir Richard Hadley. If it's ever, ever going to be knocked over, it's going to be like a, someone like a Trent Bolt, who's so devastating at times. That probably now will not happen. Um, uh, so a loss to Test cricket in particular, and the Saudi Bolt combination, which has been so great, will be no longer there. That's right. Um, you can never say never, but I'd say uh, 
test matches in particular are less less likely. Um, and and we made that clear to him in the discussions. Um, you know, so we, we were very he was very honest with us, and we were very honest with him as well. Um, but he's made he's made that made that call. Um, but yeah, the Saudi bolt combination has been phenomenal and big part of our success over a number of years now. But um, but, but in saying that, um, you know. You know, we're developing depth now and we've just got to look forward and, and develop more players. Look, the interesting thing, I mean, uh, there's a new uh, league I was asked to commentate it on after Christmas, actually. I'm not, I'm not able to do it for personal reasons, but the UAE League, there's another one coming in. I mean, they're just continually cropping up, aren't they? They are. Uh, they are. Um, what, what's quite interesting, um, Smithy, is that people are saying that there's, you know, more and more international cricket. Well, there's no more international cricket. The there's more league cricket now than, than ever before. So that's where the, the calendar's getting really squeezed. But what's very important for us in New Zealand is we protect our domestic window. Um, we need to have our centrally contracted players being available to play in New Zealand um, and representing New Zealand. So we, we will be protecting that window. It's very important for us, you know, both from a playing development point of view, but also a, a commercial point of view as well. And, and we'll keep protecting our window. So uh, in terms of uh, this particular window this year, uh, it begins before Christmas. Can you just uh, enlighten our listeners as to the busyness of the, this home program that you've got coming up, which will largely be without Trent Bolt now? Yeah, so we're in the West Indies now, starting tomorrow, um, which I understand you, your station's um, broadcasting, which That's is correct. fantastic. We've yep. three, three ODIs, three T20s, and then, then we're off to Australia to play three uh, ODIs. Then we've got a tri-series in um, October um, against Bangladesh and Pakistan T20 as we prepare for the T20 World Cup. Then immediate after, immediately after that in November, we've got India for three ODIs, three T20s. Then they're off to Pakistan for test matches in short form, and then India. <laughs> and then coming yeah. back to England and Sri Lanka. So it's a, it's a lot of, listen, it's a lot of cricket. And I, I think what's um, be interesting for your listeners too, Smithy, is that you know, it is a lot of cricket, so we, we will be rotating players and support staff just to manage workload uh, because it is a lot. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting one, and, and because of that program that you've just outlined and, and the fact that you have to pace people through these uh, careers these days, any other has this been a, a theme that is common? Has any other players come to you and said, look, I'm, I'm thinking about this? I mean, is Trent Bolt uh, likely to be the first of, of a few, you feel? No, it's, it's interesting. I've talked about this a lot, actually. I, what, what the play? Well, firstly, to be to, to put your hand up for a T20 league, I think you've got to be a successful international cricketer first and foremost to get you know real value. So, so playing bilateral cricket's really important, and, and and that's good for us. But but still, the players are saying that Test cricket is still the pinnacle for them, and they and they still see that as the ultimate challenge and and, and what they want to play. So, I think. Um, that's that's really good and very strong for our for, for member countries, and that's what I'm hearing from the players at the moment. So I don't I don't see um, a lot of other players at the moment um, putting their hand up to be released. Do you do you think uh, in future negotiations? I mean, these are central contracts, and you have uh, Heath Mills and Players Association guidance and uh, around uh, a lot of these things as well. Do you think that? When it comes to these, and you're looking at players towards the end of their careers, your bolt type players, your marquee players that 
you're going to have to be perhaps a little bit more flexible with amounts and things like that, David, because, uh, you know, if you're looking to retain, because at the end of the day, wanting to make more money with less commitment is basically what it's what it's about. Yeah, it's an interesting point. We've just entered into a new four-year agreement, you know, where we've, um, we are paying some more money. Um, but where we are managing players is by rotating them and, and giving them some more time off. And, and like you said before, we have been managing Trent's workload. And I'd like to think that in the future we will be managing the workload of other players. And of course, we do let them play in the IPL at the moment. So that, that is a real opportunity for them to make some additional money as well. But um, I think going forward, the managing of workload for not only the players, but the support staff is, is key to success in the future. So that uh, the Trent Bolt contract, and this, is, this has come as a result of a text, by the way, a lot of people interested, as you would imagine, uh, David, about yeah. this announcement. Um, uh, a text has come in and said, can, can I ask David, and I will, uh, if that uh, central contract will now be reallocated, if so, will it be a like-for-like, i.e. a bowler? Uh, yes, it will be reallocated, and I'll be doing that in the next week. And I, I've heard of the names they're considering, and, and yes, it will be a bowler. I'm pretty sure. But okay, we'll the other one uh, next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, one of the other things that's come in and said, uh, what is, is now his relationship with uh, with Northern Districts? Well, he, he is a casual player, um, so he, there's no reason why he can't play for Northern Districts at all, um, but he can do it on a casual playing contract. And I'd imagine that, um, I'd imagine he will play some cricket for Northern Districts. On the, the other side, uh, and this is a good story as well, um, the White the white Ferns now uh, went into that tournament. I would imagine you sent away quite a new side under a new administration, hopeful that you'd get uh, some success uh, and a medal. Uh, certainly is success. Good good result. Yeah, uh, we're delighted. Uh, I, was, I was fortunate. I, I actually just come back from um, overseas and spent quite a bit of time with them and um, been really impressed with... Uh, the new coach, Ben Sawyer, he's done a terrific job. He's a very t- technical and tactical coach. Um, and he's done a terrific job with uh, the new players and the older players. And delighted that we've been able to introduce pretty much four teenagers who have um, who've experienced international cricket and, and perform well. So we're, we're delighted. We're really excited for the future. And um, I think the team will only grow and grow. Great news, uh, David. Sad news on the Trent Bolt thing. I mean, uh, a New Zealand side with Trent Bolt in it just looks a little bit different to me because uh, of how classy he has been over the years. But I think we should uh, celebrate uh, how good he has been and uh, relish the times that we might have him again. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, not an easy time for you, but uh, we're going to move on. Life does, eh? Thank you. Cheers, Smithy. Thank you, bye. Cheers, uh, David White there. Just... Uh, um, outlining uh, the reasons why Trent Bolt has uh, come to this decision and New Zealand cricket's perspective on this whole thing as well. And uh, Ricardo, uh, I guess, uh, you know, like everyone, you'll, you'll have thoughts on, on this. My mm. particular thoughts is very sad because uh, uh, I like watching Trent Bolt in that uniform. I like watching Trent Bolt opening the bowling for us in Test cricket because he's a damn fine bowler. It's as simple as that. He's a world-class bowler. Um, and to lose a world-class athlete at retirement is tough to lose a world-class athlete when he's not going to retire and is, is doing other things is uh, sometimes a harder pill for people to swallow. Yeah, I think you're right, Smithy, and I, and I think he'll really be missed from that test side. 
you know. Uh, I mean, the white ball stuff, I'm I'm not that fussed about, you know. Who, you know, it tends to be a, a rotating cast of characters anyway in the white ball stuff. But the test, you you want it to be your pinnacle, your best of your best. And here's, I think, still our very best test test cricket bowler. I, I'm not sure where you are on that. I know Southie would probably have something to say about it, but I mean, the pair of them are iconic. Yeah, well, you see, you talk about bowling in tandem. Uh, and what that means is is that uh, one complements the other. Some days you don't get wickets at both ends, but the other guy's responsibility is to keep it tight, and you work for him and you work for your mate at the other end because you realise uh, it's his it's his time, it's his, it's his hour or whatever. It's going to happen for him and not you. So you work in combination. Then you strike. Sometimes you strike together at the same time, and that's when you become devastating. And the Southie Bolt combination has probably been the best combination. I say this uh, with a lot of thought, actually. Uh, Hadley-Chatfield-Newball combination, mm. outstanding. Outstanding, brilliant. Complementing each other beautifully. Southie, Bolt, equally so. Wow, that's that's high praise, Smithy. It, it, it's true, though, because mm. you, you just know that they're going to work together. Without saying anything, they're going to work together because it's just their understanding as, as their role in the, within the side. Uh, so yeah, a, a big loss, a massive loss. I, I think we'll take a quick break here, Ricardo, if we mm. can. When we come back, we'll, we'll stay on the cricket theme, eh? And um, we've got some some clips to play from uh, Tim Southey, and uh, and and that is, of course, uh, bearing in mind that the West Indies against New Zealand starts tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning here on SENZ as well, uh, when they uh, play the first of six matches. So uh, I think we'll do that. We'll hear from Tim shortly. It is uh, 10.22 here on SENZ and uh, around this time tomorrow morning, it might have just finished actually, New Zealand will be playing the West Indies in the Caribbean. Uh, and so one of the players uh, who's uh, on tour and will be very much a part of the series, as he always is, is uh, Tim Southey. Uh, and uh, we caught up, uh, we didn't catch up, someone caught up and we grabbed the interviews to be fair uh, yesterday with uh, Tim's thoughts on uh, the series coming up. Asked him first of all, why Tim is this series important ahead of the World Cup? Yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago we were playing in the T20 World Cup uh, last year in the UAE. So uh, yeah, it's come around, come around quickly. Um, there's been a been a lot of cricket, a lot of people have sort of the sides have been chopping and changing a fair bit over the last few while, just the amount of cricket. But um, but yeah, it's fast approaching, and, and this is a great um, I guess start for the for the group going forward into that that T20 World Cup later in the year against a, a quality opposition who have um, who have been playing some some good cricket of late and uh, and and like we we touched on it's a tough place to, to come and play. Uh, and then uh, of course uh, Tim Southey on another matter. Yeah, they're a dangerous side. Um, they always have been a dangerous side. Uh, a lot of a number of match winners. Uh, guys have played a lot of uh, T20 cricket in particular around the world. Who the likes of Hitmeyer. Uh, Puran, I think a guy who's, um, who's who's improved his game a lot is someone like a Robin Powell who um, had a great IPL this year. Um, so yeah, they're they're a very dangerous side, and you throw in a few of the bowlers, you over McCoys and Azari Joseph, and the likes as well. So yeah, they're a, they're a very dangerous side, and um, and and like I said, they have a number of, of match winners. Yeah, some new players that we've got to keep an eye out for there, and uh, Tim Southey highlighting just a few of them, but uh, they have a terrific white ball side. Having said that, they just got absolutely hammered by India. Hammered by India. Only able to win one game against the touring Indians. India are a strong side, there's no doubt about it. But you would have thought on uh, home soil they might have done a wee bit better about that. Uh, and this of course is uh, the first time in eight years that uh, New Zealand have been in the Caribbean in a touring capacity. Uh, and uh, Tim had some comments about previous tours. 
I've been very fortunate to, to tour this part of the world a few times, um, but I think looking back to that series in, in 2014 in particular, um, I know a lot of the guys that were on that tour um, was one of their favourite test tours um, to have won the series, uh, won the test match here in, in Jamaica and then, and then in Barbados uh, winning the third test match. Um, I think just the, the style of cricket we played that series uh, was exciting um, and yeah just, a, just I guess the, the amount of fun we had on that tour as well was, um, was which makes that tour such a memorable one but uh, it was a tough place, it's a tough place to come and play, um, you're dealing with a, a number of different things that are I guess that we're not used to um, uh, from the surfaces to the heat to, to yeah just uh, a, a whole lot of things from jumping from country to country. Yeah, it's an interesting place, the Caribbean, I can promise you that. I only toured there once as a player. I've been there many times as a commentator, and it's a lot more fun going as a commentator. I can approve, uh, I can absolutely assure you of that. Uh, the stories of the uh, the pina coladas and the white sandy beaches, the palm trees, the hammocks, all those sorts of things that you've got in your mind from the travel brochures, uh, they're there. There's no doubt about that. They're there, but uh, you don't often see them as a touring cricketer. Um, you tended to see back in my day, um, if you could see it, a, a fairly small red ball coming very quickly at you and having to deal with it at the time. Not quite the same these days, the, the famed four or five West Indian uh, pace bowlers they had back in the 70s and 80s are no longer there. They have one or two of them, but uh, one or two of them you can handle. Four or five of them uh, throughout the whole day are pretty tough. Um, so uh, there are vagaries in, uh, about touring there, things you've got to be a little bit careful about, as uh, Tim Southey is fully aware of. A great place to come, um, obviously a very relaxed part of the world, um, the weather's pretty good, um, but yeah I guess with the, the history of the fast bowlers I've had here it's always nice to turn it up to the ground, you see in the different ends named, you've got the Courtney Walsh and the Michael Holding uh, ends here at, in, in Jamaica and um, yeah just uh, growing up watching the West Indian fast bowlers it's nice to, to come to this part of the world. Absolutely amazing and uh, I think they'll probably, because since the year dot, they have been uh, staying at the Pegasus Hotel in Jamaica. The Pegasus Hotel in Jamaica is quite a frightening place because of, uh, they uh, they have uh, a saying about uh, Kingston, if you're not careful, it's it regarded it as one of the cities of murder around the world. It's a very dangerous place to be out and about in the dark. So um, I remember we had a uh, spoofing competition within the team when I was there way, ba way back, and there was a Kentucky Fried down the road about uh, 200 yards away. That's not very far to walk, 200 yards. And uh, we spoke to see who would go and get the Team Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I lost. And uh, it was uh, after dark, so I got a cab. Got a cab there and a cab back, 200 yards. I just wasn't prepared to, and they said that's a very smart move. The locals said that was a very smart move, because they'd have taken you for your Kentucky Fried Chicken, and they'd have taken you for a lot more as well if they had have caught you. So uh, I got the cab there and back. Uh, but it was a stark reminder of that. Um, uh, it's It's... Pretty tough place, uh, the Caribbean, away from the, the resorts, etc. The cricket is tough and the living is very, very tough as well. But it's very, very memorable and you'll be glad that you went and came home. It is uh, 10.27. Uh, Ricardo, shall we play a multi? Shall we have a multi? You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we won yesterday. We absolutely won. The Cubs uh, beat uh, the Washington Nationals, the Dallas Wings beat the Liberty, and Hampshire overnight beat Northamptonshire in one-day cricket. So uh, we had a golden result there, and so we'll look to go back-to-back -back here today.
Uh, I looked at the, the the rugby tonight, and it's an interesting one. I thought the points margin might be bigger. It says uh, Auckland have a 10.5-point uh, start. They're giving Manawatu 10.5-point start. So I took that. So I'll take uh, Auckland at minus 10.5 at $1.87. Zimbabwe to beat Bangladesh in cricket. Now, this, this will be an outside result, but the Zimbabweans at home are playing some very good cricket at the moment. I think there might be a sneaky surprise here at $2.70. Uh, and in tennis, in the latest uh, WTA event, uh, Maria Sakari to beat Sloane Stevens at a dollar thirty-three. So that's uh, Auckland minus ten point five, Zimbabwe, and then Maria Sakari at a dollar thirty-three, and that comes up to six dollars seventy-one. I'd be pretty damn happy with that, Ricardo. Yeah, very happy, mate. I was, I was going to ask you about the Zimbabwe if you had some oil on Zimbabwe because I thought the bangers have been going all right, but you think uh, at home it's a different proposition. Yeah, absolutely. Zimbabwe have uh, been on a pretty good run lately. They're just starting to rediscover themselves a wee bit after quite a long trough in world cricket, which has seen them not get a lot of opposition as such. So I just got a feeling that these are important series. When they beat the bottom sides of the top group, if you get my drift, mm. the, the you know the Afghanistans and uh, the Bangladeshis of the world, people tend to sit up and take notice a wee bit more. So I just got a sneaky feeling that the roller on might continue Overnight, so Zimbabwe to beat uh, Bangladesh. It is uh, coming up to 10:30 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got uh, news update with Araha, uh, and then we've got uh, Josh Sims out of the Hawks Bay Magpies after the break. 10:32 here on SENZ. Time to talk some rugby now, and of course, Hawks Bay have a very important shield challenge uh, this Friday night at McLean Park when they take on Counties Monaco, who are fresh out of uh, a win in round one over Otago. Last minute win, they handled the pressure beautifully. Got up 23-22, Hawks Bay for their part. 32 all with Waikato in a away game. Um, and uh, an interesting result at that, I think it's fair to say. On the line is the head coach for uh, Hawks Bay, Josh Sims. And before we get into uh, the rugby side of things, uh, Josh Sims, uh, New Zealand cricket are looking to replace Trent Bolt um, in their bowling stocks. Now with a central contract, they're looking for, I hear the rumour, an ageing grizzly leg spinner, right arm leg spinner. Are you interested? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say I spun the ball, Smithy, but no. Um, no, I can remember facing two balls from Trent Bolt, and that's all I lasted. So I don't think I don't think they'll want me. <laughs> Hawks Bay want you at the moment. Uh, I think it's fair to say because the season started off quite nicely. What, what was your reaction to the 32-32 draw with Waikato? Uh, yeah, look, there's some some positive elements for us. Um, you know, we got we got into the game really well, started really well, and and got off, and we probably fell asleep for 20 minutes in that first half, and found ourselves behind. Um, uh, but look, to get out of um, Hamilton with with three points probably was a real positive for us, and um, we've only gone there sort of twice in the sort of 15 years or so, and and come away with um, a win. So you know, yeah, I guess that's a, a positive is to get some points on the board and get started. You experimented uh, with your squad throughout the first two uh, Ranfurly Shield challenges, South Canterbury and Poverty Bay. Uh, then, of course, you, you hit round one uh, with a more defined side. How close are you to having your mind made up about that, or you just you just remain constantly flexible over your, your personnel? Yeah, look, there's some real competition for some spots, particularly the backs this year. Um, so, yeah, no, there, there is competition, and there's a bit of flexibility in that space, but we'd like to think, you know... Every week we're putting out the best possible side we've got, and um, I think we're doing that again this weekend. Happy with your set pieces at the weekend? Uh, no, we're a little bit scratchy. Um, you know, we, we were 
yeah, we, we you know, we're, we're evolving team as far as our profile goes. So, um, you know, having Ash Dixon has always has always been a huge positive. Obviously, with fantastic line at throw, but um, yeah, no, we operated our line out at sort of eighty eight percent, which was okay. And our scrum had had its wobbles, but um, yeah, certainly an area we're going to put under pressure by counties. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, perhaps look at uh, what happened out of, of the, your first game in terms of fitness and availability. How, how did that pan out? Uh, no one injured at this moment, so you know we're we're all available. Obviously, we're still going to dodge the the COVID bullet over the next few days, um, but yeah, no, everyone's still available for this game. It's a Friday night game. When do you name your your, your twenty three, Josh? Uh, I think formally tonight, actually. Um, but obviously the, the players are all, all named and ready to go and know, and know who's starting. OK, right. Um, without naming names, uh, many changes? No, nah, not a lot. Not a lot. A couple, okay. of, couple of positional ones and a couple of bench ones, but not, not too much. OK, right. What did you make of uh, County's Monaco first up against Otago? Oh, look, big physical side. You know, standard uh, County's Manukau, um, uh profile. But... Yeah, no, I thought they fought, they, they fought really well and showed, I guess, immense physicality and immense pride and obviously their performance against Otago. And, um, yeah, I think Rion's got them humming and, and they're pretty happy with where they're at. And, I, you know, there's a bit of history there with counties coming down and taking the shield off Hawke's Bay. So I think we're going to be prepared for that one. Where are the dangers? The in, uh, uh, individual dangers or just uh, a team, team danger in, in, in your eyes? I mean, obviously, there's some fantastic individuals. I know that's the Toro, obviously, to, is one that's just from, you know, in Cameron Regard, who are big threats in the backs. Um, and Sam Slade and Ezekiel Lindemuth and, and a number of other super rugby players in the pack. But I think, really, it's that collective county's approach when they when they roll up their sleeves and get physical with you and start bending the line um, and playing on top. It's a, real, it's a real difficult challenge to deal with. So we've got to get on top of that really early. Uh, Josh... Uh... The shield magic. Um, I just wonder when you've had it for a long time. Do you, do you have to keep sticking it in the middle of the room and saying this is what it's about, fellas, or do you need to, to keep reminding them about the shield as such uh, to keep them on the par? Uh, I think mentally with a side who's coming down here to grab it off you. Yeah, I mean, look, the the, the legacy is an important thing. Um, obviously, that we've we've had it and it's part of you know, Hawks Bay for the last two years, but. You know, every game's a new game and every team has got to create their own legacy and their own path. So, I mean, yep, it's it's great to have that motivation, but part of that it becomes that we have to do our job and, and perform. Um, and then if we do that, then obviously retaining the shield is, is just an outcome of doing our job and doing, you know, and, and being physical and, and dealing with the threats that we've got. So, I mean, I, I think in the past maybe eight shield challenges, half-time Half-time leads flipped between both sides, and it's been really close. And part of that's just grinding out a win at home and and retaining the log of wood. Josh, uh, I've asked a lot of coaches. We've had four or five interviews uh, we've done around the houses in terms of NPC franchises, uh, unions as such. Um, and basically, most coaches um, have been in favour of uh, the new look format. What what have your uh, thoughts on it been? Oh, look, I think you want to play everyone, but the, the, the seasonal gap doesn't doesn't allow that, but um, this is as close as you can get to it. Um, and you know, you look at Taranaki last year, and possibly Hawks Bay the year before. You know, didn't get the opportunity to play in the top space in the top competition. So, 
this allows you know those teams that had those great seasons to be able to win um, the whole thing. So I think it's a really good thing, and and obviously we're going to embrace it and you know and, and do our best job in our pool. You like the fifty twenty two? Yeah, yeah, a defensive coach I do. Um, you know, it, it creates some variability as to how you play your backfield and how you play your front field, um, and it takes. It takes a, a huge physical challenge out of having to get through 14 men or 15 men in the front line out for, for attacks too. So I think it's a good rule. In terms of coaching as a defensive coach, how much is that has done off uh, screens and how much has done that uh, out on the field of play as such? Yeah, I mean, there are lots, sort of a 50-50 balance in that sense, but um, defence has obviously got another element where you've got to be willing um, and you've got to be prepared to go and stick your head in the spokes, so to speak, and and, and uh, do the physical elements too, which you know is a bit of a bit of a mental a mental barrier. But yeah, fifty fifty. Anything. Yeah, the guys have got to look at their technique and got to look at our connections and and build a plan, particularly for an opposition. Water breaks. There's been a bit of comment about water breaks. A lot of people it snuck up on a lot of fans watching the game. What's your feeling on water breaks? Uh, I get the I get the logic, uh, and I think like any rule or any anything, they're just teasing their way through it a little bit as to how it, how it works well. I mean, my big my big bug is is you know forced injuries, um, you know front rows going down for backs and shoulders and legs and whatever to create um, create time for other people to to get right and get uninjured. Um, you know, I think there's probably an area we could tidy up in, but you know, for the public, they want to see the game go and they don't want to see it drag on with water breaks and water breaks and players on the field. So it does make sense. You think the other thing which is of interest to me, um, and it crops up from time to time, uh, mostly Monday mornings actually. Uh, could do you reckon we could at this level, at uh, NPC level, could we do without TMOs? Would you be happy to let the referee and the two ARs govern proceedings totally? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. You, you know, it depends which which end of the stick you end up on. Um, you know, if you, if you were to lose a game on a decision that could be could be corrected by one view of a television, uh, you obviously want it. You'd obviously want them. Um, but you know, I think we want I think we want referees and the officials to make the correct decision. Um, but obviously, the you know the time frame side of it is is the big is the big. Thing. Yeah, I get I get the viewer wants the game to move and we want the game to move, so we don't want to be steering it too long. Um, yeah, but well, look, I think it done well. The TMO does a good job. Okay, right. Uh, the the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is physicality in the game, Josh. I I sit sideline, I see the physicality, I hear the physicality, and I see the end results of it. You must do, and you know, you look at your dressing room at the end of uh, eighty hard minutes, you you see it as well. But it appears, uh, if we look at the next uh, uh, the level up to the All Blacks, people are saying we're not physical enough in this country and we're being out-muscled, beaten up at breakdowns, etc. at the international level. <sighs> Where does it start? Yeah. Is, there a problem, is there a problem there? Or how do we fix that problem if there is one? Uh, look, I don't, I don't agree with it. I mean, you know how physical uh, those... New Zealand derbies are particularly in Super Rugby and, and obviously at our level too the, the game's immensely physical and the guys have become stronger and stronger and more athletic over the, over the past decade and so yeah, I'm not sure that we're getting out muscled I think there's, you know, there's a myriad of things that might not be quite right at the moment and at that top level 2% somewhere is, is, a, huge, is a huge difference so 
Yeah, no, if anything, I think you know, substitution rules might be something that could help take the, the enormity out of the game and allow players to play longer and, and carry a little less weight. Mm. And, you know, that, that, that would be, that'd be a good change. Um, so guys had to play longer and didn't have to come in for those 15, 20 minutes and just cause carnage. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say we've got big physical internationally. I just think we technically we get a few things right and we won't be far off. Okay, cool. I, I, I like that thought. I really do because the test of stamina exactly is, is drifting away uh, to, to a large degree because you know, and you know full well as a player, uh, you, you only have to give 60 minutes because it's pre-planned and you know there's a guy coming off the... Uh, I mean, uh, you're looking at turning 80 minutes of stress and energy and physicality into 60 minutes, and I'm not quite sure that's right. Uh, so I, I totally agree with, with that thought on that. Uh, program program now before Friday? Yeah, no, we've got a training run starting in about 40 minutes, uh, which is our, our main executional training run for the week. Um, and then the standard captain run at... McLean Park uh, tomorrow, and then yeah, then we're into it really at seven thirty-five on Friday, and and uh, go and do our job. Can't wait. Uh, one of my jobs is to uh, perhaps hand the shield over. Don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. That's my last words to you this morning. <laughs> yeah, I'd hope I'd hope not, Smitty, but uh, you never know. As I said, you know, every team comes with the same intention to that game. So some some day someone's going to get it right, and and that's going to happen. But hopefully not this weekend. Okay, Josh, uh, all the best, mate. Only taking the mickey. Thank you very much and for your time. Always enjoyed chatting to you, mate. See you Friday. Appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Uh, Josh Sums there. Uh, actually, a very good cricketer in his own right. And that's why I started that interview with that. Very, very talented cricketer, Josh Sums. And believe it or not, quite combative cricketer as well. It is uh, 10.44 here on SENZ. We shall be back shortly. It is 10.49 and uh, text in to say, what are your thoughts on who should get uh, Trent Bolt's contract? And uh, the... The ink's hardly even dry on the, the fact that it's been terminated, if you can call it that. But anyway, here's, a, uh, here's the thing, my way of thinking, right? It, uh, we've got fast bowlers in the mix with central contracts already. We've got Lockie Ferguson, of course. Uh, we've got Kyle Jamison and Matt Henry. Um, and then, of course, you go down a little bit further and you come to a fellow by the name of Tim Southey and Neil Wagner. So we've got those, that nucleus. You've always got to have fast bowlers. You've always got to have a nucleus of them. You've also got to encourage your fast bowlers. Of those who could be candidates, Adam Milne, who is injured, is very much uh, part of the T20 thinking when he is fully fit. Uh, he is a candidate uh, because uh, he is, uh, well, he was. He was uh, almost injury-free there for a while, and he's very strong, and uh, his, his form was improving. He's a candidate. Um, ben Sears uh, is an up-and-comer with a lot of pace, they say. Uh, still a bit green. Perhaps uh, still has to do a lot of work at domestic level and perhaps should stay contracted at that level. Uh, then you look at uh, Jacob Duffy, who is another young player who's been given a few opportunities without actually grabbing one by the scruff of the neck. As you, and yet you wonder whether he is a, a prospect to uh, pick up. Uh, I mean, you're never going to replace Trent Bolt. Let's put that right here and now. You're not going to replace 317 test wickets and all the rest of the great achievements he's been able to have in white ball cricket. So don't, uh, don't think for one second you're going to do that. Uh, and then, of course, you look at someone uh, like Blair Tickner. Blair Tickner had a, an Amazing uh, performance the other night. He's uh, a little bit older. Uh, he's tall. He's got bounce. Um, and he generally stays pretty fit as well. So there's a group of them there. And there's probably one or two obvious ones that I've completely and utterly missed who aren't available for various reasons at the moment. But if it's a like for like, it's basically kind of come out of that group. Myself, 
in terms of uh, how they bowl and what stage of their career they're at, probably give Tickner a go. I'd probably give Blair Tickner a go, but uh, that's uh, just my thinking on the matter. We'll take a break now. When we come back, Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris. It is uh, 10.56 here on SENZ, and uh, time to check in now with Louis Herman Watt. Uh, this morning uh, in a very sombre mood for obvious reasons, and I imagine the racing industry as well, with confirmation now that uh, young Taiki uh, Yanagida has uh, passed away. Uh, Louis, so uh, really, uh, I, I don't suppose we need to bother talking too much about Rickett and Park today. Racing will go on, but uh, pretty hollow today. Yeah, you know, the, the industry does charge on, doesn't it? They are, um, you know, plenty of good racing folks, Smithy. They're some of the most resilient New Zealanders we have, and... They've had setbacks time and time again. We've had jockeys pass. Um, it's usually in the South Island, though. It's really a new thing for uh, the, this group of North Island riders. We've had, I think, three deaths in the South Island this century, maybe four. Um, but Taiki, just a, a much-loved, you know, black-type winning jockey who everyone wanted on and would have no issue backing if you're at the pub and just such a nice guy and... Yeah, it charges on, I guess, but I'm sure you'll see black armbands out there today from the jockeys, and I'm sure there'll be a, a very sombre mood on track at, as Tim Mills runs their uh, middle day of the Grand National Day as uh, the hurdles go on. But yep, Smithy, I heard your sermon, beautiful words, mate, and I guess we'll just think of everybody and you know keep everyone close at the moment, and thoughts are with Taiki's family and actually the whole wider racing family as well. It's a tough, it's a tough, tough industry, and we do tend to forget. We take them for granted, uh, Louis. We take them, for, you know, we do our dough every now and then. We look at them and say, why, why, why? Not easy. It's not easy, mate. And it's a, it's a good sentiment. I think everyone should remember. If you have a bet, these are real people. Okay, Louis Herman, what there were the thoughts on the passing of Taiki Yanagita, which will uh, reverberate around the racing industry for quite some time. Uh, across to uh, Pip Morris at the Greyhounds. Uh, Pip, uh, twelve races today. At Palmerston North. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Just quickly want to reiterate those sentiments too from Louis around Tiger and year 12 races from there. There's been a bet too in race number three on a par with Ziva too at 1.2k on her at $2.10 Smithy. So she's now into 1.8. Does look a winning chance in race number three. And on the sports side of things, there's been a nice play as well on South Africa. 1.2k on them at 13 or more, maybe at three dollars and forty cents. So, I'm just willing to keep on the train with them at the moment. But people are losing faith, losing faith in the All Blacks on a daily basis. They the prices are. keep going out, the rewards keep going out. Oh, let's hope they can reverse <laughs> the trend. Thank you very much. Have a great day and some good punting on the greyhounds. It's 10:59 here, coming up to 11 o'clock. We'll have a panel after the break, and that will be uh, Andrew Gordy and Suzanne McFadden. A number of issues to talk through, including uh, including life without to Trent Bolt coming up for the Black Caps test team in particular. Talk to them very shortly. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Andrew Gordy with us this morning, as uh, usually is on a Wednesday morning, and I'm pleased to say that he is joined by Suzanne McFadden. And Suzanne, of course, is the sports editor of the wonderfully successful locker room and uh well we've got some uh, really fresh off the fresh off the press news really to talk about this morning uh susan mcfadden off like suzanne mcfadden i can start with you and that of course is uh we're going to have to live without trent bolt in the test team for new zealand from uh, now on uh, and we're going to have limited uh, use of trent bolt at all so what do you make of this decision mm. 
Um, I applaud him, actually. I think um, he's obviously made the decision on um, personal grounds, wanting to spend more time with his wife and three boys. And, you know, he's, uh, as you know better than anyone, he's been on the road for more than a decade. And I, I just think it's great that he wants to spend more time at home and just kind of let his cricket career maybe kind of peter out on his terms. It's an interesting one. But that's me one, as a mum so, talking. Yes, I was going to say, Suzanne, <laughs> and, that, and that's, that is a consideration, Suzanne, which is becoming more and more of an issue. I mean, in the days gone by, you know, just the thought, well, he's a black cap, he's an all-black, he just plays rugby, he just plays cricket, and, you know, everything else becomes secondary. Mm. Not so anymore, Suzanne. No, and I think the pressures on those athletes are a lot different than probably they were, you know, 30 years ago. So they're, they're on call all the time. And, um, you know, he's had an incredible career eh, over a long time. And we will miss him. But I, I guess do I, I don't really know how available he will be now. Well, my understanding is that uh, he won't play test cricket again. Uh, so, uh, you know, and that's yeah. where he's been ultra successful for New Zealand. He'll play um, primarily, um, the way I read it, is he'll play domestic league cricket around the world, and that is your IPLs, your, uh, you know, your, uh, your cricket in England, uh, maybe a bit of big bash in Australia as opposed to playing the super smash here. The big money ones, as simple as that, Suzanne, and so you cash in at the end of, yeah. of your career. Gordes, that's the way, Andrew Gordier, that's the way I, I tend to read it at this point. Uh, what were your initial reactions uh, to this decision? Morning, Smitty. Morning, Suzanne. Morning to all the listeners. Um, yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Sad on one hand, but like Suzanne has said, um, pleased for Trent. Um, because, well, on a couple of counts, he's earned this. I think he has given sensational commitment to New Zealand, to the Black Caps, to New Zealand cricket um, for a long time now, and he has been he has been a fine servant. So absolutely no one, no one can question him on that. And you know, if he's earned the right, I think at this point in his career, 33 years old, um, to probably prioritise other things in his life. N- number one, his family, and yet two, probably earning earning some decent money. Um, to round out his career. But I think it's you, you can't uh, take this announcement and ignore the fact that over the last couple of years, during this COVID period, touring has been really tough. Like, touring is tough anyway, but touring over the last couple of years has been exponentially harder than what it normally is. And I know for a fact uh, that Trent has found that particularly hard. Um, I think he's found it tough mentally. He's a guy that needs to get out. You know, you only have to have a look at his Instagram account to know that he's a guy that loves uh, running up Mount Monganui. He loves he loves getting out and about. He loves being at the beach. Um, he needs that outdoor space. So I, I think it has been tough on him mentally, and therefore he would have found it very tough being away from his family. And he's got three young boys. And, and like you say, Suzanne, speaking as a mum, I know, speaking as a dad, I would find that extraordinarily hard, uh, being away from mm. my two young boys if I was away from, uh, from home as, as long as Trent was. Um, so I, I understand the decision. Um, but, yeah, look, if I'm just looking at it purely from a New Zealand cricket point of view, it's, it, is, it, is a, it is a 
tinged with sadness, I think, because as you've touched on already this morning, his his partnership with Tim Southey has been absolutely incredible, and it is sad to know that, particularly in the test arena, that has almost certainly come to an end now. And I suppose there's broader concerns as well about New Zealand cricket and the Black Caps team. I think we've already seen um, over the last 12 months that the, the test team in particular is, is not what it was. They're not the team that won the World Test Championship not so long ago. You know, they lost BJ Watling, they lost Ross Taylor. Now they've lost Trent Bolt, and um, yeah, that should, that's a concerning time going forward. But, but just talking about Trent Bolt himself, um, I, I can't begrudge him this decision at all. Okay, that's good, um, and I don't either, And but I do acknowledge that he still was our best bowler in the recent losing series to uh, England. Uh, day in, day out, he still was our best operator, and um, I think he'll go down as uh, perhaps our second greatest uh, goods, uh, uh, second greatest uh, bowler in our history, quick bowler anyway. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> it's almost... <laughs> I mean, Sir Richard obviously is... is you know, still stands head and shoulders. Um, but yeah, Bolton Southey, you kind of you can't mention one without the other in a way. And and I and I do yeah. sort of wonder about what this means for Tim Southey as well. I know he would have had legitimate um, claims to go after Sir Richard's wicket taking record at the very least. And I wonder how much Trent's absence now will impact on his um, ambitions. I suppose to to go after that record. Um, yeah, I'm sure Tim Southey probably more than anyone else is feeling this uh, this morning. Suzanne McFadden, uh, massive news on the tennis front uh, and the same theme, really. Uh, Serena Williams is talking retirement at the end of this uh, US Open. Uh, basically, I heard a clip of her saying that uh, she's seen the light and the light is freedom, freedom from tennis, freedom <laughs> from um, that kind of life, which is quite deep and meaningful, really. Where does Serena Williams and her career sit for you? Because it's not been without controversy. No, and I think that that makes her career even better. <laughs> you know, she she leaves an incredible legacy when she leaves tennis, and she's done so much for the sport. Again, you know, as a mum, as a professional tennis playing mother, she's she's kind of leading the way in that. And also for black female athletes, you know, the thousands of young black girls who've picked up tennis rackets after watching Serena and Venus. Um, you know, what a, what a difference that's going to make to the face of the sport as well. Um, you know, she's always been colourful. Um, she's never afraid to say it as she sees it. Um, you know, she, she had the American tennis um, fraternity, I guess, um, Alarmed at you know the beads in her hair, the cat suit, the tutu she used to wear, and um, but she made to me she made tennis more colourful, more alive, and I think we've been um, lucky to you know lucky to see her in my lifetime. I think she's definitely a goat. Greatest women tennis player of all time, in, in your eyes, uh, is she better than Martina Navratilova? Is she better than Steffi Graf, Suzanne? I always struggle with the comparisons thing, um, but and it's really hard because you know very different eras. But um, in my mind, Serena sticks out. She will she will be number one for me. Okay, cool. Um, and for you, uh, Gordon, she, she's played the villain a lot. Let's be fair. The um, 
the, um, the problem that she had uh, at the end of one of the tournaments when she lost uh, a Grand Slam and, and with to surprise to mm. Naomi Osaka and then of course uh, stole the limelight off her with her attitude etc. I mean there have been ugly incidents so where does she sit for you Serena? Yeah, look, I mean, yes, I, I know, I know what you're saying, Smithy. Um, she she hasn't exactly, um, she hasn't been a model uh, player for, for her entire career. She has had moments where, yeah, she's she's let um, her temper, I suppose, get get the better of her, and that was obviously the the standout example. But I, I'm not going to begrudge her that. And if we're talking about whether we put her ahead of the likes of Steffi Graf, Martina Navratilova, I think I think you you could argue till you blew in the face over who was the best player, but unequivocally, she did more for the game of tennis and more for women's tennis than, than either of those players. I mean, she is a legitimate game changer. She's a trailblazer for the sport. Um, and just in terms of, the, I suppose, the marketing of the sport, um, bringing it to a, to a new audience and getting, getting more fans interested in women's tennis in particular, I think she um, she deserves to go down as you know, you'd you put her in the same breath as, as people like Tiger Woods I think in terms of what they did for their sport, um, she absolutely has had a, a greater impact I think than any other player that's gone before and, and she should be remembered as such I think she will be at the at Flushing Meadow, I think they'll, they'll do a great tribute to her and uh, I'm not sure she's uh, going to go too far in, in the competition. It might even be a first-round exit, but it'll be a glamorous one. You can bet your bottom dollar on that, and that is a reflection <laughs> of how the Americans in particular uh, feel about what uh, Serena Williams has done for tennis and for their country as a such. Uh, uh, I think it uh, might be time for a just a general report card on the uh, Commonwealth Games. How do you feel? Well, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, you know, uh, and... Uh, in terms of winning gold medals, our greatest ever. We had the greatest individual performance from an athlete ever. Aaron Gates, four gold medals. Like, what? That is an absolutely ridiculous uh, performance, competing in five events, and he just about medaled in the other one as well. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, winning more gold medals than any other colour of medal uh, is also an enormous achievement. Um I think it's a phenomenal success, and I think you can look across the board at several sports. Um, you know, gee whiz, cycling New Zealand. I mean, they have, and I, and I know I've already touched on this on the show before, I don't think we can um, take success at these Commonwealth Games as a sign that all is necessarily well with cycling New Zealand. I mean, but with, you know, the issues that have been plaguing cycling New Zealand in, in previous uh, months and years have been completely separate, really, from performance. It's, you know, been about whether they're looking after their athletes um, as, a, as a whole, I suppose, from a more holistic point of view. But look, performance on the track, you can't argue with it. They were the most successful nation uh, at, these, uh, at these Commonwealth Games, you know, better than, better than Australia, better than, than England. And that's, that's really saying something. Uh, Lewis Clearbert, um, his performances, again, a sport like swimming, which has, has really struggled uh, in recent times. He is he is emerging as a, as a potential staff in New Zealand there. So, yeah, and there's, look, there's performances right across the board that you can point to and, and say that, yeah, this was a, a fantastic Commonwealth Games, and I think, uh, yeah, most New Zealanders will reflect on it as such. And uh, for your thoughts, uh, Suzanne McFadden, it's been around 12 months, I think, uh, just coming up since the uh, unfortunate passing of um, Olivia Podmore, of course, uh, rocked the nation, rocked cycling, rocked everything around the, the place. And I, I know 
uh, as a journalist, you had opinions uh, around that. Um, Andrew just hinting there that perhaps um, performance on the track doesn't mean everything's rosy. And a stark reminder that uh, success doesn't mean uh, happiness all around the joint, does it? No, you're exactly right. Yeah, um, Andrew put it really well. For the, and I think, yeah, it was um, the anniversary of Olivia Podmore's death yesterday. And that, you know, that's also going to be hard on those cyclists returning home tomorrow. Um, you know, that, that is always with them, um, that her tragic death stays with them. But the thing I was really impressed with, and um, like Andrew said, was the way that the cyclists just put their heads down, put their bums up and did their job. And I think that's been their attitude um, in the last 12 months is that you know they will continue to do what they do well and my god they did well I just, I, I'm still blown away by that cycling team performance um, Athletics too I was impressed with um, them one of my favourite memories of the games comes from there and that's um, the battle between um, Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill and how cool was it to see Jack O lift his game um, finally, as a senior athlete, and um, I think the team sport struggled, and I still have this feeling of I'm not sure that team sports should be in the Commonwealth Games. I mean, I, I think that in, your, in the four years between, and then I see them play, and I go, this is cool. I can watch cricket on this channel, netball on this channel, and the bowls on this channel all at the same time. That's ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I do think that the COVID lockdowns may have affected the performances of our teams. I think, you know, we were in isolation from the rest of the world for for longer than most countries. And just rebuilding that unity and those connections, you know, you saw it in the Silver Ferns. It took them until the bronze medal game for them really to find their top seven and play that top seven mm. for the whole game. So... Yeah, I think it's been really, really interesting games. And I wasn't sure about them before they started. I was kind of like, you know, do we need these? And then you watch it and you go, oh, this is so good. So I, I really enjoyed it, <laughs> even with the time difference. It was tough. I'm, I need a week off now. I'm taking a week off now just to catch up on sleep. But um, I did enjoy it. And I think it was great for New Zealand sport. Yeah, and I'm old school and I think it should stay and I look forward to the next one even now because I know where it's not uh, matching some of those Commonwealth victories are not the same as Olympic victories because those other athletes are not eligible as such. But still, I, I love to see New Zealanders doing well and New Zealanders with uh, medals and smiles on their faces. And uh, Suzanne, you've mentioned it before. Talk about uh, sticking your bum up and your head down and getting stuck in. Um, I imagine that is what uh, Ian Foster has been trying to tell us all black forwards. Never before... In my lifetime anyway, Suzanne, have the, the All Blacks as a unit and as a coaching unit been more vilified to the point where someone has actually put a $50,000 bet, bet on the Springboks. <laughs> a New Zealander has put a 50k bet on the Springboks to beat the All Blacks. That's where we're at with, this, with the All Blacks. Where are you at with them? Um, well, I have to admit, first of all, Smithy, that I didn't watch the game on, because I was so... In involved in watching Commonwealth Games, but I did hear my son Kez making a lot of groaning noises. Um, I, I, from what I've seen of these guys, I just see it. They seem to be, most of them, lacking passion, and, and now I think they've lost a lot of self-belief. 
And, um, you know, I think maybe um, they need to get Dame Knowles and Ben Sawyer on the bench, on the coaching bench for a little while um, <laughs> because they, you know, managed to turn around, you know, their, the, the White Ferns and the Silver Ferns after really heavy losses to England both came out and absolutely murdered it in the in the bronze medal game. So I just think that maybe it, you know maybe it comes down to a holistic thing now. Maybe it's about rebuilding their self belief and yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want like to be an all black or an all black coach right now. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't either. Um, it's something I always wanted to be, but all of a sudden don't. Um, Andrew Gordy, <laughs> uh, what's your take on you? You follow these guys, you, you know. Uh, the rugby side of things. Have we ever ha- been at a lower ebb in your memory in terms of perspective, um, looking in from the outside? So it, it's honestly, it's deeply concerning. And it, like, you know, that, and, and I think people shouldn't lose sight of the fact, we were actually talking about this in the office just the other day. This is for the first time in 25 years. It's been 25 years since the All Blacks were in anything like this kind of position. This is, this is such a, a freak thing to be happening in New Zealand rugby at the moment. And, and in, a, in a weird sort of way, I don't want it, fascinating is not the right word, but it is, it is intriguing. Intriguing is, is probably the word for it because it's so confounding. What, is, what on earth is going on here? How has it got to this point? We know that these players are, are good players, but, if, and, and I know, Suzanne, you, you say you didn't watch the game. You almost didn't really need to in a way because... You just know that these guys are, are so vo- devoid of confidence at the moment. Um, it's like they're playing together for the first time. And Smithy, uh, like, I, I know you are, you would have watched the game, and I have I, we've watched many, many, many battles between the All Blacks and the Springboks over the years, and we we always know they're going to be a physical battle. But my goodness, I have never seen the All Blacks so utterly dominated up front like they were um, in in Bombella on on the weekend. They were just not at the races when it came to the scrum, the line out even, um, the, the 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 you know the the rucks, um, geez, the, the turnovers that the Springboks were able to execute was just astounding, really. And look, you know, someone's obviously someone with a lot of money in their pocket, fifty thousand dollars, has gone and put it on the Springboks. I, I dare I say it, that's a pretty safe bet based on what we saw last weekend. I mean, it is impossible, really, to think that the All Blacks have have enough in their locker, either, whether it be that same squad of, of 23 or whether Ian Foster's going to be bold enough, I suppose, to make the sorts of changes. It's hard to see that they've got the players and the game plan who are going to be able to turn around that sort of performance in, in, in a week's time. Um, so they are really up against it. And look, I'm going to be absolutely fascinated to see what sort of squad Ian Foster picks for this game at Alice Park because I think it'll be really telling because he must know that the squad, if he sticks with the same same players in the same squad, he, he's going to get the same result. There's no, no question mm. about it. And then I suppose it's relative to what does he think is coming? Because all the, all, everything we're reading and seeing and hearing is that he has to win this game to have any chance of saving his, his all that coaching career. So with that in mind, if he, if he believes that, he has to roll the dice here. He has to make some meaningful changes. And I'm not talking about one or two. He's going to have to make some really meaningful changes to, to try and get a different result. But if he, if he truly believes, like what he said, that it was their best performance of the year and they're making genuine progress and he sticks with that same bunch of players, if they get the same result, I'm, I'm afraid the writing's on the wall. And, and it is going to be impossible, I think, to defend 
his uh, his position as All Blacks coach that he should that he should continue in the role. So it is yeah, it's going to be a fascinating few days coming up. Um, certainly in, in terms of the, the coaching career of Ian Foster and, and for the All Blacks as well, because boy, they are at a low ebb. They sure are. They sure are. Uh, Suzanne McFadden, Andrew Gordy, thank you so much for your time on the panel this morning. Hope you have a terrific re- remainder of the day. And um, we'll have another panel uh, same time tomorrow morning. In fact, it might be a bit earlier. We'll see. It's 11.24 here on SENZ. Yeah, just noticed too uh, this morning uh, the news coming through of the passing of uh, Rudy Kurtz. And now Rudy Kurtz and, uh, was a former South African cricket umpire, vastly experienced cricket umpire as well, and uh, very... But a very serious demeanour on the field, a real umpire-looking umpire, if you get my gist. Uh, but he did have a sense of humour, and he was a particularly good guy to talk about. Uh, away from um, the field of play, you, you could talk to him about uh, the Springboks and South African rugby, of course, as uh, always is the case. Uh, but he was, uh, if you remember Rudy Kurtz, and he was the umpire uh, that, with his left hand, used to bring the left hand from around behind the back to give you out in the most slow, deliberate, horrible fashion and this very stern look, almost as the hint of a smile at the other end when he gave you out caught behind our LBW. Sadist. Real, yeah, uh, there was a hint of that about it. It was like he enjoyed it, if you know what I mean. He enjoyed pointing you in the direction of the pavilion. It's as simple as that. Uh, Rudy Kurtzen, uh, so pay tribute, quick tribute to Rudy Kurtzen. Terrific umpire. You don't umpire that many games without having a lot of respect from the players and the administrators. So, um, Rudy Kurtzen, uh, very sorry to hear uh, of your passing and uh, our thoughts go to your family and close friends, of course, will be missed. That style was only Rudy's and will never be replicated. Uh, Right, it's uh, coming up to news time here on SENZ, which means at around 11.30, we ask you to call 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. And uh, Ricardo Ball will be the uh, quiz master today. Robbie will be uh, taking your calls as they come through. So line up and see if you can win 50 bucks off us or the TAB, really, but you get it through us. Uh, and we'll be doing that very shortly. 0800 150 811. In the meantime, here's Araha with the 11.30 update. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, time for Stumped by Smithy. How are you feeling today, Smithy? You you, you, you good? You feeling mentally yeah. elastic? Well, it's time for a win. I don't think I've won one in about the last 11, Ricardo. So, and, and you've done this as well. You've played, you've sat on this side of, of the uh, the quiz, so you know just how hard it can be from time to time. But um, I wouldn't say I'm overconfident, but Jew, put it that way. But he's Jew. He's Jew. Reed from Gore is uh, with us. He uh, might be in line for a $50 TAB voucher. How are you doing, Reed? Yeah, no, not too bad. Team one, one and eleven sounds pretty dangerous. So Smitty, you might might be due for a, for a stumping. Yeah, I'm due. And if, I, if there's any bloke in the world I'd quite like to stump, might be you, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reed, you get to choose. Here are the three topics you can choose from. You can go Ranfurly Shield, you can go Black Caps versus the West Indies, or you can go 2022 Commonwealth Games. What do you want? Ah. Uh, We'll go Ranfurly Shield, eh? All right, Ranfurly Shield it is. Here is your first question, Reid. Which province did Auckland win the Ranfurly Shield from in 1995 with a 35-0 whitewash? Um, 
will go their neighbours Waikato. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. 1994. 95. Uh, 1995. Um, I'm going to say they won it off in 1995 Wellington. One of the yeah, worst cool. things I have ever seen Fun. done on a cricket field. You're still alive, Reid. They won it off Canterbury. It was a Canterbury team that was stacked with Mertz and Justin Marshall and, and things. It was, uh, I think the headline at the time was Zinzan's Lancaster Bombers because they just went and absolutely blitzed them. So we go. Oh. I, know, I know there'll be a few Cantabs be groaning at the memory of that that I've brought that back for them, so you're, you're welcome. Uh, here you go, Reid. Here's your second question, mate. Manawatu have only successfully challenged for the Shield once, but how many times did they defend it? Uh, going for one, they've Well, I'd say they haven't zero. One of the worst things I have oh, no. ever seen. He's 0 2. Smithy? This is where you need Staffy. Um, I was in Palmerston North during the Shield era, and it was a long Shield era. I'm just trying to calculate games. You used to have to have two um, non what you'd call championship type challenges uh, from uh, smaller unions. Um, and this Shield era was quite a long one. I'm going to say 17 games. One of the worst things I have ever seen you were, done on a cricket field. You were closer than none. It was 13. So they took it off Auckland right. in 1976, 12-10, and then lost it to North Auckland in 1978. But Reid, you're still alive. Smithy hasn't managed to catch yep. you yet. All right, here is the last question. $50 TAB voucher on the line for you, mate. Two current Heartland Championship teams have won the Shield in their history. South Canterbury is one. Who is the other? Oh, um, Shivers. What was the one that you thought they have got it? South Canterbury. They have had South Canterbury. Oh, I'm going to go... Oh, North Otago. One of the worst things... I have ever seen. He's 0 3, Smithy, but we might be giving him a we might be giving him fifty dollars voucher from the TAB if you can't get this one right. What do you reckon? No, I should I should be able to get this right, but I, I'm I'm bloated if I I mean Marlborough comes to mind, but Marlborough of course are now part of Tasman, so mm. I don't think they qualify as such because I don't think they play as a, a Heartland Union, so it can't be them. So I'm just going to slightly make my way up the island a wee bit um, and go. Past Horafanua Kapiti, I'm going to go. Uh, am I going to go to Wairapa Bush? Did they ever win it? I don't think the Wairapa Bush ever won it. Did Thames Valley ever win it? I'm not quite sure. King Country, I uh, don't know. Uh, look, I'm really battling here. I will say that somewhere in the deep dark past, I don't think Wanganui ever won it. Um, I'm, and I don't think any from West Coast or Buller won it. So, as you can see, I'm really, really struggling here. South Canterbury and... Uh, oh, for the hell of it, I'll go worry for Bush. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Oh, really? Right yes. in the slot. Really? And worry for Bush. When? Well done. Yeah, it was in the 1930s. Why did up a bush one? Nine, oh, God. I was going to say if Brian Lahore was playing, but there wasn't been Brian Lahore was playing. 1930s? I think so, yeah. Why bush won the Ranfurly Shield? Yep, they, they are one of only two Heartland Unions to have held the Shield. So, unlucky, Reid, right at the last, mate. You'd fended him off, fended him yeah. off, but in the end he got you. Well played. Hey, Reed, well played. 
Reed, you count yourself as one of the unluckiest men in the world right at this moment. I could tell you what, because <laughs> that was a complete and utter guess, and I have no recollection of Wairapa Bush or Wairapa as they probably were in those days uh, before they merged with Bush ever, ever holding the Rampurley right. Shield. So I'm sorry no, about that, mate. And, uh, Good guess. Cheers. That well, is a total and utter guess. Well it's done. Eleven thirty-nine. Cheers, Reid. Eleven thirty-nine. Hey, the good news is it's hundred bucks tomorrow, folks. Mm. Hundred bucks tomorrow. Ricardo will be hosting uh, the contest again tomorrow. I understand, so that's cool. Eleven uh, thirty-nine here on SCNZ. Uh, when we come back, we're going to catch up with uh, our very good friend uh, and fellow brother here on SCNZ, and Andy Thompson. Eleven forty-four here on SCNZ, and uh, exciting news for uh, farmers in particular, people in the rural community, because uh, we're now into uh, our second week of uh, Rural Roundup, uh, the show uh, which uh, plays uh, 12 to 1 on all of our frequencies except in Auckland and Wellington. Uh, and the host, of course, is Andy Thompson out of the West Coast. Andy, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we've had a, uh, a bit of a busy show. Trent Bolt uh, saying that uh, he'll yeah. be not playing for New Zealand uh, very often. You, it's a bit of a hit. It took a bit of a hit there. Oh, that's a massive hit. That is a massive hit. And uh, lovely Trenty, as he's uh, named, is um, you know he's our spearhead, isn't he? What are we What are we going to do? Who's Who's next cab off the rank to fill his spot, mate? I do not know, to be perfectly honest. I think it opens the door yeah. for probably Matt, Matt Henry or uh, Neil Wagner to get some more game time. Perhaps Neil Wagner being a left armour uh, of the same sort of ilk. But uh, to be perfectly fair, that is a big blow. That is a massive blow, particularly here at home in our conditions, Andy. Smithy, what do you make about um, taking time for family? I mean, uh, in your day, um, things have changed a lot, haven't they? When someone makes that call, how old is he? 33. Yeah, well, in, in our day, of course, you'd, you'd, it's the old uh, <laughs> saying, you didn't want to, we didn't earn much for a start. There weren't many other options, Andy, to be fair. Uh, but the, the other adage was, you don't give another, don't give another guy your job. You know, don't, uh, don't give a sucker an even break. And so you didn't really want to miss out on a tour. Um, and uh, back in our day, our wives were happy to get rid of us, I guess, too, Andy. <laughs> perfect, you know? Probably st- are they still? <laughs> Probably still are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah mine is. I can speak in the school of one. I can put my hand up confidently <laughs> there. I read this article the other day, Andy, uh, getting back to uh, the farming side of things, and it wasn't a pleasant article. It was written by Esther Taunton, and it was uh, an article which was headline, Uncertainty and Gloom, Farmer Confidence Plumps to New Debts. That's, that's, yep. that's not good. No, it's not good. It is not good. And um, do you know what it's about, Smithy? And we're going to talk about this a bit on the show today. It's about farmers. They're being overwhelmed at the moment. So the payouts are quite good, like they're earning quite good money, and you'd think that the confidence would really be up there. But unfortunately, there is an avalanche, I mean an absolute avalanche of regulation and pressure being piled on farmers, whether it's environmental, you name it, it's coming. And that is starting to really, really overwhelm farmers, and they're starting to really think, hey, I'm not sure if I'm really enjoying this very much. I just wanted to get out there and milk cows and grow sheep and do whatever you want to do, you know. And and that's part of what we're talking about on today's show between more traditionalist farmers that really just want to um, throw that throw that out or just stay doing more traditional farming and sort of some progressive farmers who are going hey look this is the way it goes and it's actually causing a polarization so you've got two things happening you've got what you were talking about the um, you know farmers feeling overwhelmed starting to feel really sort of negative about it but then you've also got farmers fighting amongst themselves which is which is not good and it's not a good look so what is it has anyone actually Glean the opinions of our future farmers, those those uh, guys and, and girls, uh, kids that are going through Lincoln at the moment, through Massey and those more rural uh, dominated uh, universities. 
their thoughts on are they heading in the right direction? Is this what they want to do? Can they do it in the future? Yeah, they can. They can. But I guess what one of the things is, and, and those you're, you're right to put your finger on those younger farmers, and they are, they are fantastic. I mean, I know some fantastic young farmers, and, and they put me to shame uh, from, from with their enthusiasm. I love going to those events, young farmers' events. Um, but, but they are starting to... They, they feel the pressure as well. Um, one of the things is, Smithy, is... Um, like as much as you know, we do a lot of exporting, and 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 uh, the income is there. The costs are rising significantly, you know. And when we start to talk about cost of living crisis, I don't think we've actually seen the full cost of food or the food production mm. being passed on to the consumer yet. There's a lot more to come on this. If you think food's expensive now, if that was fully passed on, it would be significantly more expensive for farmers to make enough money to continue uh, their farming operations. Rural Roundup today, folks, with Andy Thompson starts in around about 12 minutes' time. Andy, what are your features on the show today? Yeah, so we're going to talk about this. We've got uh, we've talked about that polarisation issue. We've got Katie Mill, uh, Craig Hickman, Dean Ravage. Uh, we've got our Rural Heroes of the Week coming up. Um, and we're also going to chat to uh, legendary broadcaster Brendan Telfer, a bit of sport, and we're going to catch up with Grant Bunting from ANSCO. He's the GM of uh, System Supply and Sustainability. Uh, a little few concerns about uh, the amount of lambs left uh, still to be processed, up to half a million lambs around the country. So, you know, giving some advice to farmers there because uh, we've got to get them off. So busy old show. Coldest week, uh, they reckon, uh, climate-wise, coldest week this week, uh, Andy, throughout the country. So where, where are we at with, uh, with lambing and calving as such in the various regions? I'm talking to uh, quite a few farmers, and they're telling us that uh, calving is going really, really well. In fact, uh, a couple of farmers in particular have told to me that uh, they're way ahead of where they're expected to be, and they don't quite understand it. Um, but it's really, really wet in Canterbury, and I know it's really wet into the North Island. Southland guys are quite happy. Um, we've got a fine week here on the on the coast coming up, so I've been looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, I think some of those Northland guy, North Island guys are really starting to get um, uh, sick of it, and the, and the Canterbury guys. Lambing um, is not fully underway yet. Well, the further north you are, the more mm. you've got. But, mm. um, yeah, it's, it is it is spring. Well, not quite spring, but you kind of August, mm. you kind of class as spring, the start of the season. So uh, things are really ramping up for the new season. Okay, Andy Thompson uh, with us there, folks. Andy, good luck with the show. Today she'll be listening. It's uh, coming up in around 10 minutes' time now, folks, uh, here on SENZ. All our uh, frequencies, except for Auckland and Wellington, you'll catch uh, everything that is uh, current with the farming industry in particular with Andy. It is 11.50 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly to hand over the reins to Sam Hewitt for his show as well. It's 11.56 here on SENZ, and uh, Ricardo, uh, we've stirred the pot a wee bit here because with one of your uh, Ranfurly Shield questions there, and yeah. uh, the answer was wire up a bush. I got a uh, couple of texts and was actually wire wrapper, not wire up a bush, um, uh, on this uh, Battle of Solway. Battle of Solway. Um, and I'm starting to read about it. Uh, it was the game where Wairapa beat uh, Hawks Bay to win the Shield 15-11 back in 1927. 1927. And there was all sorts of rubbish and crap written and, and said about it after the game. I think, in essence, Hawks Bay were quite poor losers. But there was all sorts of protests and things, uh, basically from Hawks Bay having lost the Shield. And uh, the theory was it had been the Hawks Bay long enough, so let, let the Warrapa Bush or Warrapa <laughs> have it, basically. So read it up. It's called The Battle of Solway. Well, check it out. It just uh, screeds and screeds of information about it, and I'll be better informed of this time tomorrow. And incidentally, all you great people that have texted in today, we're going to hold those texts on for tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, though, we've got to pop across to uh, Sam Hewitt, who uh, is sitting in for staff today uh, on a day where Trent Bolt has said uh, no more, or not as much more for New Zealand anyway. 
Um, so that's uh, sad news for us cricket fans, Sam. It is, Smithy. Um, yeah, really interested to see um, how, how much this diminishes his playing time for the Black Caps, you know. Um, I know there's still a bit of chat out there that, you know, he, he might still feature, but um, talking with the boys out in the office there, God, we, we thought him and Southie, I mean, Southie still, but him and Southie might just get close to, to Paddle's record. Um, I imagine Tim's the prime contender for that now. Yeah, he is, um, but, you know, Tim's uh, he's got to get a, a lot of wickets in uh, quite some time. I, I think he's probably still got to get 100 wickets. And yep. Um, that, that's going to take him um, five years, four to five years, unless he has some really golden series. Of course, with white ball cricket, uh, sort of dominating red ball cricket, for the most part anyway, mm. it's going to be pretty tough for him. So he's going to have to remain injury-free. But uh, certainly uh, it's going to be tougher now because uh, they fed off each other too, Sam. They did. You know, a lot of South, a lot of Southies wickets were because Bolt had been so good at the other end and vice versa. Mm. I mean, it was called bowling in tandem. And that uh, combination, be a lot of batsmen around the world quite happy about that decision. <laughs> I can promise you that. Absolutely. Uh, midday... Midday Madness? Midday Madness? Midday Madness today, Smithy. Well, on a Wednesday, i like to um, lighten it up a little bit. Obviously, a lot of All Blacks chat Monday, Tuesday. We will do more of it uh, tomorrow and Friday. So I thought we'd mix up a little bit today. And uh, someone mentioned yesterday they played Geordie Barrett in high school, um, and he was playing number 12. And uh, he recalled playing him at high school and getting absolutely uh, pants by him. So I thought that, that sparked a little idea in my head. Uh, your stories of famous athletes that you encountered when you were younger. Um, and I know there are going to be some brilliant stories out there, Smithy. I've got one of, uh, of a certain Marco Rojas, who I went to intermediate with, um, and was actually my cricket captain, um, funnily enough, despite being a, uh, one of New Zealand's great footballers now. He was my cricket captain. So um, I just want to get people's stories on who they played against as a kid and where they are now. Okay, good one. I can tell you mine right here and now. Carlton School, Wanganui, yes. Bull Rush, Billy Osborne. <laughs> try stopping him. Brilliant. Try Billy Osborne. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic, Smithy. Yeah, that's Carlton exactly School. what we're looking for. He won it all the time, every time, and he also won the race down to Ireland's Dairy to pick up his pie and his donut every <laughs> friggin' Monday as well. So there you go. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> there you go, Sam. Okay, Sam, have a great show. Uh, to, to my guys, uh, to Robbie this morning, of course, and um, to uh, Ricardo, fantastic work, guys. Uh, really enjoyed the show this morning. And uh, to Araha, of course, with your professionalism, as always. Uh, we shall be back tomorrow morning at the slightly later time, depending on the cricket. We have to rock and roll with the cricket tomorrow, folks. New Zealand against the West Indies. Listen to that here on SENZ, and we'll have a good review of the game straight afterwards. In the meantime, have a terrific Wednesday afternoon. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.